here if you haven't noticed <laughs> uh, we're of course talking about the first part of the battle of the bonds from 1983 octopusy and uh this is uh going to be mostly covering uh, uh octopus we will talk a little bit about uh some of the other behind the scenes stuff going on but uh uh should be an interesting recap coming up uh roger moore is still old if you haven't noticed and bond is still kind of cool at this point uh by the way, I am Colin Hilding, and the greatest thing about you, British, was that movie Octopussy. I must have seen that thing twice. <laughs> uh, I'm Noah, and yes, I really did call the film Octopussy. And my name is Ben, and just want to let you both know that I won't have time for your adolescent antics throughout this episode. <laughs> That's rich coming, coming from, from you. <laughs> coming from Ben. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. So we're going to cover Octopussy here, and uh, it's the second movie that John Glenn had. Uh, it's the first of the Battle of the Bonds. It's the second last Roger Moore. And uh, I guess uh, just before uh, we get into some of the behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, let's just go around and uh, get our general opinions of Octopussy after this uh, rewatch. I'll start off. Uh, I've said on the last episode and on a couple prior to that that this is kind of the one that's a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I know that there's problems with this movie. There's elements of this that are really ridiculous. But for the most part, I think uh, John Glenn handles this movie in a classy way. And if half the stuff that happened in this movie were filmed by Lewis Gilbert, we would be talking about this like it was dumber than Moonraker. But I think it all mostly comes together here, despite the fact that as we established off air, uh, not one of the three of us understands this plot, despite <laughs> us seeing this movie countless times over the years. Uh, but it's still one of my guilty pleasures and uh, a movie that I can still go back to and watch, uh, uh, despite some of the flaws in it. Well, Octopus is actually uh, the one, besides the new, new ones, the Bond film I've seen the least. Um, and that's not by choice necessarily. It's just when I was got, went back and watched them all when I was younger, that one was just never at the video store for some reason. Then it took a long time. I think I actually saw it after Casino Royale, um, so it was definitely the last of the first twenty that I saw. Um, so I have still seen it a fair few times. But considering that fact, I've seen all the other ones a lot more. Um, and yeah, it's kind of a newish one for me. Newish relative, anyway. Um, 
it's such a stock standard film. Like, I think we're going to have a bit of trouble when we get to our um, Hall of Fame um, because like, it's just, it's not like it's horrible, but there's not nothing overly great in it. I think, like Colin, you mentioned it's a guilty pleasure. I think people are kind of starting to come around on it and it's becoming quite a popular one just from what I've observed. But yeah, I don't hate it. I don't love it. Um, and maybe I'm the only Bond fan who is not bothered with Roger Moore's age. Like I get that he's old and it's stupid, but it's never been something that's really bothered me. It's just whatever. I, he still handles the action pretty well here, whether or not it's him. But yeah, it, yeah, octopus. <laughs> like, we'll talk about it, but I, yeah, it's it's just octopus. <laughs> Well, I am bothered by Roger Moore's age. Um, it's look, I had, I hadn't seen this film in about a decade, and yeah, I'm probably with you there, Norm. One of the ones I've seen the least. I think I just remember when growing up and watching these with my dad. This is just one that we always seem to avoid. Like I always had this thing for some reason that it went for your eyes only, a view to a kill. Like I always forgot Octopussy <laughs> was sort of in the middle of these two. You just blocked it. Just just blocked it out. But it's. I mean, again, similar to what you said. It's just. It's a standard film. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just, you know, there. Um, and, I mean, it's got lots in it that I like. There's lots in it that I don't like. Um, I mean, I know I mentioned in For Your Eyes Only, it's about halfway through there where you really start to see Roger Moore's age. And you really see it throughout this film, which, again, it kind of irks me slightly um, in some of the scenes. And that sort of takes it down a few notches. But... Look, I, I like the the locations in this film. I like the allies. I like the fact that we get Q really out there a lot more. Um, I, I like the villain. I know a lot of people don't really like Khan, but I like him. I think he's a you know a, an interesting villain. So yeah, I, I'm sort of intrigued how we're going to handle this episode because yeah, we don't get the plot. I'm watching this last night thinking like, hmm, how are we going to make this funny? Uh, <laughs> but I guess we probably thought that about Fury Eyes Only, and look how that turned out. I think there's going to be enough stuff in here to make it uh, <laughs> yeah, fairly it's not funny. That we don't understand the plot. It's just the plot is confusing in some bits. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's that's not what I very mean. well developed. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think God. one interesting thing is that let's talk really quickly about Roger Moore's age. I mean, Roger Moore wanted to step down at this point. And uh, I'm with you, Noah. His age doesn't bother me. I mean, he still looks younger here than Sean Connery did, I would say, in Diamonds Are Forever. There's a couple of moments where he looks old, but even though there are scenes where it's obvious that it's a stunt double and it's not more, I think what you said makes sense. Know that it, you're not really questioning it. What the stuff Roger Moore does do, you're not like, okay, well, that's clearly an old man and then a younger guy stepping in, which I think we'll get to in a view to a kill. But uh, Roger Moore had wanted to step down, and I think they were anxious to bring in some new blood. But the first issue that really came about was this Kevin McClory, uh, uh, McClory <laughs> have been kicking around for now almost 20 years. Uh, it's been almost a decade since the, I guess, uh, restriction of him not being able to remake Thunderball had been lifted. I think there was like a decade. So he'd been trying to develop this remake of Thunderball for almost 10 years at this point, Sean Connery had been involved in the entire process. Um, who knows why Sean Connery was so willing to do this? I don't know. But they'd finally gotten to the point where Never Say Never Again, a non-canon uh, James Bond movie, was being made, and they had Sean Connery. And this was 
obviously something that probably scared uh, MGM. It probably scared Broccoli and Saltzman. And they figured, well, let's lock Roger Moore in for another one because he's still popular. So um, anything uh, to really talk about here based on your knowledge or any trivia about the Battle of the Bonds we're about to see and how it affects this movie? Well, I guess uh, the thing we should mention is uh, James Brolin, American actor, was very uh, actually did screen tests. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia here. He actually did a screen test with VJ Amritaj. That's his last name, I guess. Um, yeah. Uh, so they actually did screen tests with him. And then there was Sam Neill we talked about last last episode. So. Um, American Bond, I'm not too sure about that. But, yeah, they were into the process of getting a new Bond. Um, but then just on the age thing, one thing I do like about this film, and it, it's not Monica Bellucci, but like Octopussy is an older Bond girl. It's not Melina. That's her name, Melina. Um, <laughs> it, it's an older woman, so I think that works a bit better. Like She's still like probably 15 years younger than him, but it's not BB. Um, so... <laughs> Yeah, I, I I liked that about it, but um, yeah, I, I do have to wonder if, and this would probably be a suicide for Eon, but I wonder how a new Bond would have went up against uh, Sean Connery and Never Say Never Again. Like, maybe people would have been like, oh, cool, there's a new one, I'm going to go and watch that, but probably not. Um, so yeah, Roger Moore just keeps getting <laughs> piled on for film after film. Uh, I don't think he gave his millions of dollar salary to charity though, like Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, maybe we need to fact check that. But um, yeah, they couldn't get rid of him, um, and I'm sure we'll talk more about the Battle of the Bonds. But I still think Roger Moore excels in this film. He's still great, it's even fa- though he is Grandpa Bond. It, well, it's fascinating, I think, um, with Roger Moore. I mean, he was only contracted, I think, to do three films, wasn't he? So, kind of each film after that was a film-by-film film, uh, contract. And, yeah, I, I don't know how it would have turned out had they gotten Mr. Brolin in instead um, because, I mean, Octopussy won the battle, spoiler alert. Um, it made about uh, $12 million more than Never Say Never Again. But I, I think it's fascinating to think kind of the Battle of the Bonds, Roger Moore versus Sean Connery. I mean, if you look at their ages, I mean, Moore was 53, uh, sorry, 56, Connery was 53, so it's Battle of the Grandpa Bonds. Um, and, yeah, it's just, I don't know, I I don't necessarily agree that he looked, um, like Connery looked older in Diamonds Are Forever. I, I think Moore really does look quite, um, yeah, look, I, I mean, it's I've, I've grown to love Moore His a little. His hair looks young. Uh, well, it's his real hair, I guess. Um, oh, for a 56-year-old. Well, I mean, I've grown like, to how like... How many 56-year-olds are like more? Well, Madonna. Um, but I've, I've liked... Um, I've, <laughs> I've grown how many to minutes enjoy, are we? I've, gr- I've grown to enjoy Roger Moore more on this rewatch. <laughs> but, I mean, this is, I think, really where it just diminishes his... The, like my opinion on him, just at these these points, this and a view to a kill. I love a view to a kill, and it would just be such a better movie had there been a younger Bond in it. So maybe this is a case with Octopussy. I don't know, but yeah, look, I think it's. I still, I know we talked a lot about the Battle of the Bond. We'll talk more about it. We'd never say never again. But it's just such an interesting thing to have in such a big franchise, two competing films within three months of each other. Um, and you know, you just you don't hear about that. You don't have two Star Wars movies coming out at the same time, two Marvel movies coming out, two Harry Potters. Like this is just unfounded. And I just, I, it's a fascinating period, nineteen eighty three, to be a Bond fan. I could have imagined. 
I think that and yet it's all it's oh, you can. I was gonna say it's also interesting that if you really look at it, neither movie really goes down as being legendary. I don't yeah. think. Um, as I said, I love Octopussy, and there are a lot of people out there, like Noah was saying, that really are you know coming around to loving Octopussy. But it's still, I mean, I would argue that people probably remember For Your Eyes Only more, and even if it's for worse, they remember A View to a Kill more than Octopussy. It is a little bit more of a forgotten movie. So I don't know if The Battle of the Bonds really helped either movie, to be honest. If they had released them one year apart, it probably would have gone over a little, both movies probably would have gone over a little bit better. I do think that uh, his age definitely adds to the comical nature of this film. And um, I think a lot of people just assume that after Moonraker, it gets more like down to earth and more serious. But I would argue this is just as uh, campy and silly as Live and Let Die and The Man with the Golden Gun. And his age does not help that too. And some of his facial expressions. So (laughs) I was just... Like I, I knew this film was not for your eyes only, but I was slightly surprised at just how campy it was. Maybe I overlooked that on past rewatches. But, One thing yeah. I just want to quickly add is that I guess they don't kind of play up to his age. Like, you know, he's not Danny Glover in The Lethal Weapon because I'm too old for this shit. Like, you know, they, they haven't gone down that path. So I guess that's one positive. Well, interesting you <laughs> say that. You said you've yeah. never seen Never Say Never Again. So that should be interesting to watch next. Right, okay. There is one moment which I'm really excited to talk about, which it's probably going to be my version of what Ben had last week with, you know, (laughs) Sharon, you can go all lock up, where I just found a lot of humor in something that I think does draw to his age, but uh, uh, we'll get into that later. Um, This movie starts out with a pre-title scene, and the first thing that I notice is with all the John Glenn movies, it feels to me like the pre-title scenes are almost a little bit more cartoony than the rest of the movie. Like you were saying how this movie is just as campy as Man with a Golden Gun. I agree there's moments there are, but I think for the most part, the plot is handled a lot more respectively. But the pre-title scenes, you know, for your eyes only end this, and I think we'll see it again in A View to a Kill and even Living Daylights, is that they're a lot more fun and loose and not really that serious uh, compared to the plots that follow in the movies. Um, this one's basically Bond in Cuba, and, you know, he, he's disguised himself as Luis Toro. Uh, <laughs> you could tell by the, the, the sandy blonde hair that he looked very Cuban. Um, <laughs> they actually look quite similar, also, though, the two guys. Yeah, the guys do, which means that they both look like the only men in Cuba who don't look Cuban. Um, the horsies are back. That's that's good for Ben, right? <laughs> Bond has a fake horsey. He, Rigs an escape. He has a tiny little jet that goes faster than the speed of sound. Uh, he's got uh, a little sidekick, Bianca, who... I-, I like the idea of Bond having a sidekick in these pre-title scenes that we never see again. Uh, just the idea that he has these little uh, allies everywhere in the world and just calls on whoever he needs. And it ends with a missile chasing Bond in his jet and him flying through a hangar and a bunch of people dying... I'm going to say right now, of no result of anything Bond did. <laughs> and end pre-title scene with him running out of gas because Q forgot to put anything in the tank for some reason. And he stops at a gas station to fill up. Yeah, uh, this pre-title sequence is okay. Like, it's got some fun stuff in it. Um, like The plane, I I'm really blanking on which film now, but they actually did want to use this plane in a previous film, and I'm embarrassed that I forgot which Moonraker, one. Moonraker, wasn't but, it? 
Yeah, it could have been Moonraker. Um, yeah, it probably is. Um, so, yeah, it's a cool little uh, prop. It's no little Nelly, but it's cool. Um, and, yeah, it's fun with Bond in disguise, and I like the sidekick and the horsies. So it's not one of my favourites, but I, I, I always say I do like the non-related to the plot, like as if this was the end of a different Bond film. Uh, this is the climax. So I always like those kind of uh, pre-title sequences. Um, so it's fun. And then when he drove to the gas station uh, for a fill-up, uh, Colin won't know anything about this, but Ben did it not remind you of the guy, uh, I think it was last year in Australia, who <laughs> drove his plane to the pub somewhere in like outback Australia or something, just... <laughs> Driving along on the road and parked his plane at the pub or something, and well, he, he got, he, I think he got arrested. Or well, he was clearly a big James Bond fan. That's why he did it. Um. <laughs> yeah. But it's a pretty good pre-title sequence. There's nothing flawless, but it, it's it's always fun to watch. I find. I was just reading here um, that yeah, many elements and story ideas that weren't used in Moonraker were used in this film, and it says here one of them included the Acro Star jet sequence. So maybe that's where. That was come. I don't know. Um, I love this opening title sequence. I think it's great fun. Um, and again, it's like completely unrelated to the plot. Like, there's not even any linking in at all. Um, you know, and it's much better than Mr. Bond, Mr. Bond. <laughs> um, and I just love the fact that we have a freaking horse turn into a plane. Like, you know, describe that to somebody when it comes to this film. So at the beginning, a horse turns into a plane. Um, we get like pervy um, foe Fidel well, Bond Castro. Bond flies a plane right out of the horse's wreck. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that too. Um, we get foe Fidel Castro perving in a on... film called Octopus. <laughs> yes, <laughs> maybe this is a lot more funny than I give it credit for. That I again at the, at the, at the start, um, and then yeah, we get cool little flying sequence in the Acro Star, and uh, you know, upside down Bond, and he's chasing away from the missile and. You go through the big shed and, yeah, look, um, maybe we'll debate this at the end because I'm still 50-50 whether we can count this or not in the kill count. But, again, it's how many people died in this. Um, I do love the whole situation where he's, like, in the back and he's flirting. Well, his eyes are, like, trying to be like, hey, look at at the hot chick. And he's like, oh, yeah. But he's, like, the most (laughs) serious, unhorny, like, soldiers in the history of the world. This is where, again, Roger Moore's facial expressions, the best out of any Bonds. Like, just is fantastic. (laughs) And, yeah, the filler-up sequence. Apparently, I was reading about it that um, they cut this from the film, but I think John Glenn went and saw another movie in the preview for this film was shown and they kept that in the preview and the the audience in the cinema like absolutely loved it they laughed their guts off so then john glenn was like no keep it in the film like obviously that's good um although <laughs> the guts off? yeah well it's like guts for guard really? it's like I'm, I'm putting guts up there again the, the no, only... it's not even the saying it's just was it that funny well look in 1983 mildred like her friends <laughs> They were easily bemused. Uh, the one thing, though, that I don't like about it is that the way it kind of, like... It, it's almost like it's the end of the movie when he's like, fill her up, please, and then we hear that... Oh, God. But, yeah, it's every, everything else besides this bit we're about to talk to, I love it. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm more agreeing with Ben. I think... I'd go as far as to say this is probably my favourite pre-title scene of the 80s. Not that there's a lot of competition mm. in the... You know, next for you to follow, but I think this one really stands up. 
Um, you, you started out with a. Wow, I have to tell you, the fill it up line for me, I would like that line so much more if I didn't always associate it with a cheesy saxophone that falls because <laughs> we're about to be treated to the ultimate in 80s cheese song, oh. which I never quite figured out why it made me laugh until I realized, you know, we were talking uh, not on one of our episodes, but about The Simpsons the other day. And there's the episode <laughs> of The Simpsons where Homer gets a divorce from Marge so he can get remarried and Milhouse's parents get divorced. Milhouse's dad, Kirk Bound Houghton, records his own demo called Can I Borrow a Feeling? And it is this song. <laughs> it is the exact same song, the exact same saxophone in the beginning. Can I borrow a feeling? Like, I now know why this makes me laugh so much because it is Kirk Van Houghton's solo single. Um, I don't know what else to say. Like, That's going in the closing just, credits of this episode, Colin. You have to add that now. It is. Yeah, I already planned on because I'm, I don't want to hear all time high again. But like the funny thing is with this song, you know, we talked about how there's ones where it's like, oh, it's not my favorite, but, you know, I'll still listen to it if it comes up, you know, on a playlist with this one. I, I don't dislike it enough to ever remove it from my playlists, but I can't even remember the last time I actually listened to this and didn't skip it. It's just, it's so cheesy and so 1983. And I also don't think it's really helped. I mean, the, the pre-title scene, we have a lot of weird stuff going on in there. It's basically laser silhouettes of bond on a bunch of nudies. Um, <laughs> I'm not really sure what the context is. Lasers and nudie nudies? bond. What's with you guys? Yeah. Horses and nudies? Uh, you guys love <laughs> your ease. It's the 80s. We're trying to, like, you know, make them a bit more... We're getting into the 80s. <laughs> nudie horses? <laughs> um, if this had a nudie horsey, it probably would have been a little bit more interesting. But, like, this is just kind of all we get in the 80s. Is Aren't all horses naked? Horse Superman. <laughs> oh, dancing we had... ball. Yeah, uh, nudie horsey on a glitter ball. Uh, <laughs> there are so many better ideas. Like, let's take some of the unused ideas from Moonraker. And you're like, I just don't really get the opening credits in any of the 80s movies, to be honest. But yeah, I, I don't think that uh, this is really a highlight of Bond, this title or title sequence. Yeah, the title sequence is like, um, it's like some like seedy 80s, like late night, like, uh, strip like with the neon signs and that it was like and then still images of Roger Moore like not even him pushing over <laughs> Russian soldiers or something it's just a still image um, we don't even have oh, what even is her name I'm blanking on it now the artist What's we see Rita Coolidge <laughs> yeah we don't even have Rita there like um, uh, what's her name um, Sheena Easton Octopussy? Yeah, Sheena Easton, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the pre-title thing is so unmemorable and it's just so seedy. Um, and the song, yeah, like, ugh. It's like a homeless man's uh, <laughs> Nobody Does It Better or something like that. They're trying to get this ballady, like, strong thing, but it's just really not good. I don't know if it's the worst song, uh, but it's up there. It the lyrics are so generic and cliche and it's the lyrics don't fit. It's, it's like a writings on the wall, although we haven't seen the film yet. The lyrics do not fit the film at all. It's like, this isn't even a love story thing. And then, Oh, that line 
you know I hate it when they mention the film lines, but then this line in the film, yes, but we're two of our kind, and then they're playing the theme in the background. It was just like face palm. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of this. I'd be interested to see if I ranked them all where it would finish. I don't think it would be last, but this is just a really bad song. Um, worse than Moonraker, maybe. <sighs> this is... <laughs> This is shit. Like this is this is the worst Bond song ever. I am calling it. I know you two can put "Die Another Day" below it. You can put "Another Way to Die" below it. They have their merits. They at least, well, at least "Die Another Day" has references to the film in a way. This is just nothing. This is just like, oh, Rita Coolidge has got a new song. Let's make it the Bond theme. It's got nothing to do with the movie. It's like the first song never to mention the name of the the movie in it, and that's just a standard now with fucking Daniel Craig films. Um, and well, wait, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Well, yeah, true. Um, <laughs> just shut me down there, Colin. I'm on a rant. Um, <laughs> like it's just it's horrible, and it's just it's not even a song that you would want to listen to in the eighties, like. You know, it's like for your eyes only. At least has got some great bits about it. This is just whiny and shit, and it sounds like a porno film. And the lyrics are just absolutely horrible. Like you know, doing so much more than falling in love. Like what? What are you doing than falling? You're not falling in love. Bond doesn't fall in love in this film. Like he had no intention to do the things we did. Bond is got more love chemistry with VJ in some elements in this film than he does with... <laughs> I just imagine VJ singing, All I wanted was a sweet temptation for an hour or two. Oh, it's just, it's, Serenading it's, bomb. It's horrible. And, like, the thing that also baffles me about how horrible this song could be, it was co-written by Tim Rice. And if you don't know, like, Tim Rice is a legendary writer. Like, he's worked with Elton John and he's done great music. Like, he's so, like, such a good writer. He, why, he wrote this shit. Like, no, <laughs> Tim. Just go back to writing The Lion King and stuff like this. Like, go away. But the the, the credits, like... Well, these are probably the worst credits as well. Like, I have written down here. I think these, these credits sum up the movie. Like, you're like, huh, what's going on here in some points? There's, like, two men-looking women who are just, like, seductively staring into the camera who I just want to, like, pluck their eyebrows. Like, what the fuck am I looking at? You've got, <laughs> you've got a red light kind of like a no-walking symbol, like, skating along their body that turns into an octopus. You've got James Bond figure skating with somebody and spinning them around. Like, he's been sleeping with BB, like, behind Woo! the scenes. And then that's why he's turned into a freaking figure skater. And then we've got weird woman at the end staring at a gun that's shooting out text and she freeze frames. Like, what is what is this? Like, no. Shit, go away. Fuck off. Uh, yeah, and I also do like, Noah, you described the still frame of Bond, which is they basically <laughs> like, well, we got to have Bond in the opening credits. They grab a cardboard cutout of a poster from The Spy Who Loved Me and it's like, let's just film it. It would have been funny if it was... is the right word. It would have been funny if it was like Brolin coming up and they've just quickly like put over Roger Moore really last minute. Like, shit, it's not James Brolin, it's Roger Moore, quick. Did you just see James Brolin's head with an obvious photo, uh, James Brolin's body with an obvious photoshopped uh, Roger Moore head bobbing around on top of it? Yeah, um, no love, obviously, for the title or title sequence. Um, Never. I kind of like the next scene that comes after this, the which is the basic setup to the plot that doesn't really make sense. Um, we have a clown, which we later find out is 009, uh, who's escaping 
from uh, a very angry looking man throwing knives at him. And it's kind of a fun chase through the woods. And he ends up, you know, going into an embassy and dying right on the doorstep. Um, I, I really have to, I like the sequence. I like the idea. I mean, clowns are going to become very ridiculous later on, but somehow it actually is kind of a haunting scene. We talked about how in Moonraker, you know, Drax sending the, the dogs after Corinne was kind of like this haunting scene. And I thought this one was not quite as out of place, but uh, just as subtly creepy. But my idea is like, why is he? I didn't realize this, but my wife brought up as we're watching. She's like, why is he still wearing the balloons? And why is he still carrying? Like he has one balloon attached to his belt and he's carrying another one. Is that the quickest way to make a getaway, considering that's what actually sets them off and has them find them later on? Like, fun Maybe scene, but that, that he's one in moment. A also. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we just expect him to touch a couple more once he got out of the woods and just fly off into the sky. Yeah, but, come on, Q. Uh, overall, your... I like the scene. Uh, you mentioned Moonraker. I was going to bring that up, too. Like, They were missing dogs. Serious lack of dogs here, but... <laughs> We get Mishka and Grishka anyway, so not too upset. Um, yeah, there's not. You pretty much covered it. It is a fun scene, nighttime scene, a bit of exposition. I do find it a bit silly. There's the clown, and like then later the need for Roger Moore to also have a clown suit. Um, but yeah, it's a nice little moody scene that I enjoy too. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I love the fact that we're back to text on screen saying, like, East Berlin, like, we don't have a plane flying over, saying, like, East Berlin, like, trailing behind it. Um, I think the Mishka and... What are they, Mishka and Krishka or um, Mishka? Yeah, Mishka and Krishka. Um, do, do they not look like Rob Schneider to you, like, the whole time? <laughs> like, going, Rob Schneider was what? in a bunch. Schneider and Mither. <laughs> David Duchovny was in For Your Eyes Only and Rob Schneider was in Dr. <laughs> Pussy. I'm just imagining Juice Bigelow chasing 009 throughout the... Um, Inspector Rob Schneider, man. <laughs> which, which 90s star of yesterday will turn up in the next James Bond movie? <laughs> oh, goodness. But, um, you know, I wrote down to the balloons, like, because obviously one goes off and that kind of gives... Like, why wouldn't you just... I mean, he really loved those balloons. Like, you just... Maybe well, they were very precious to him, and and it's I also love the security at the uh, British Embassy that they could just allow like some random guy in a clown suit to run through and smash through the window and scare <laughs> the shit out of Mildred, who like turned around and was like, ah! um, and I love also the fact that he's managed to carry that egg in his hand the whole time that just conveniently rolls out of his hand, um, and then Mildred's more concerned about the egg than the poor dead clown. Like, what's going on? Um. Yeah, the, after this, we get a little bit more of the plot uh, where a series of scenes. First, we have Bond, you know, had his regular briefing with M. But before that, we have Bond walking in on somebody who is not Granny Penny, but she is, <laughs> I'm guessing, Ben's favorite character in this movie based on the fact that she has a suggestive name and almost no significance <laughs> and only 30 seconds of screen time. It's Penelope Smallbone. <laughs> Ben, am I right on that? <laughs> well, yes, I quite partial to Penelope Smallbone, but um, do you, yeah. Um, do you think I was trying to figure out because uh, Lois is getting on a bit? She is Top turning bit. into great, great Granny <laughs> Penny soon. Um, For the last decade, maybe. Great Granny Penny. Um, do you think <laughs> Penelope, Penelope Smallbone was introduced? as a replacement for Lois, or do you think they just put it in because she was hot? Oh, I think... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's 
I, I've thought about that before. I thought about when we were watching the movie this time. The the only thing that I think it could have been was again, we know that they were trying to cast somebody else, and maybe they knew if this isn't more as the next one will be, and they, they wanted to have somebody in place. Like again, I think coming off of Bernard Lee's death, and we have to take a movie off before we can find a new M. Maybe they were hoping this would be a transition. So that when they eventually did get a young Bond in the next one or the one after that, that they'd just be able to throw this new actress in there. Maybe it was just we, a courtesy. We were robbed of Brolin and Smallbone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think they were trying to set it up. I mean, kind of like they did with um, John Cleese in The World Is Not Enough. And I guess maybe with, um, you know, Bernard Lee dying, they, they probably kind of get to the point where they're like, okay... You know, um, we always have to sort of move on and transition, like Colin said. So oh, I, you were worried that they thought a Lois could be soon after. <laughs> <laughs> based on the way she looks, based on the way she looks, oh. it wouldn't surprise me. I, I mean, the whole the whole time Don't in this scene, mean. there are, there are two things that stood out for me. To me, it looks like Moore and Maxwell are small bones, like grandparents. Like, that's, I think, just, you know, I'm glad in a way it wasn't just small bone is the new money penny because, again, that's so creepy. Roger Moore, like, well, he kind of does flirt with her we'll in a way. Wait till we get to the Q scene. And, and why why the hell does money penny need an assistant? Like, we've talked about this. Is this because she's doing so much <laughs> she work? She is for, the assistant. She, is this because she does so much work for Bond? We've talked about this a lot. Like, why does money penny do Bond's work? She's Ed's well, assistant. <laughs> Let's be honest now. Again, at her age, to get up and walk across the room to get a file might maybe require some assistance. Yeah, bring, uh, bring your grandchild to work day, maybe. <laughs> what if that was like the alternate version of the script? <laughs> Come on in, Bond. I brought my granddaughter in. <laughs> Poor Lowell. Um, Again, I'm I'm gonna defend I'm gonna defend Roger Moore's age because I don't think it's it's as bad as it will be in a veto kill and it's still somewhat acceptable at this point. But the scene where um Money Penny or Penelope Smallbone saying that, you know, Money Penny described you in nauseating detail, I'm thinking like all she had to say is, is he's the only guy in the building as old as I am and she would have known who it was. <laughs> and she's just like, I love older men. And like, oh, I've dropped a file. Yeah, yeah well, if they were playing up to that, they could have put some lines in there like, you remind me of my father. I, will, I love I, him. I will say, though, all jokes aside, I do actually like the little interaction there where Bond's kind of like, oh, money penny, I didn't realise that you looked so... And then she's like, I am over here. Like, I do like And he that. had a hatch. <laughs> I thought it was odd job. Like, he's about to kill. <laughs> yeah, it was that first person odd job. <laughs> Just odd job comes back, kills Penelope Smallbone, leaves. Oh, I thought you meant that before Penelope Smallbone took around, that was odd job. Like, odd job's in drag now after learning from Wilfeld. Like, he switches a leech. Uh, uh, Penelope Smallbone. Uh, uh, uh. Hashtag uh-huh. still younger than Lois Maxwell. Oh, oh no. That'd be you know, it's funny. We could take his. Like, this does show just something about the world, that we could take as many shots as we want at Roger Moore, but don't ever, don't you dare say that Lois Maxwell was old. Um. <laughs> well, I, I feel like we're being uh, more Granny Penny to her than we are to Moore. Oh, trust me, we're going to get well, the Granny Bond in this film. Beautiful- <laughs> uh, maybe we should save this for next uh, episode, cause that, well, two episodes, because that will be Lois's last episode. But mm. the whole character has become redundant at this point. Like, the last time... I would maybe say Diamonds Are Forever was the last time she ever did anything good. Um, that's not a dig at her. It's a dig at the script and the producers. But 
like I think someone said she had four lines in The Spy Love Me. Like the whole character is useless by this that. point, and uh, they're just yeah. keeping her in because they're loyal to Lois, and she's pretty awesome. But I, I agree with that. It was like, yeah. look, being loyal to loyal to Lois is great. Look, you know, joke about her age and everything. I think I think the whole character of Money Penny as is is always known. He's kind of there's that flirtatious relationship between Bond and that, and it's no disrespect to Lois. They're obviously very loyal to her, and she's an iconic character in the history of Bond, an iconic actress. But you really do need to have that real flirtatious relationship. And then if, you, if I'm watching my grandparents flirt in an office, like, I'm not turned on. Like, well, you yeah, need to have something else Paul's there. chemistry is non-existent um, which, compared to Connery. But it's funny because Moore and Lois Maxwell were good friends in real life. Like, they were well, before, before Bond, they were even in Bond. Not to mention, again, this will be jumping ahead a bit, but you talked about how there was no chemistry between Bond and Octopussy. I mean... Roger Moore's favorite leading lady was Maude Adams. So there's something to Roger Moore actually having a good relationship with somebody where it just doesn't doesn't translate well on screen, I guess. In the friend zone. Yeah. He doesn't like to flirt with his friends. <laughs> He's had bad experience in the friend zone. Uh, that's, that, that's his Bond's biggest, uh, worst nightmare. But maybe we'll eulogize uh, Granny Penny a bit more in two episodes' time. Yeah. Um, for now, we can introduce our new favorite M um, <laughs> until at least a few movies down the road. Um, Robert Brown. Wow. He's, he's not Bernard Lee. He's not Judy Dench, but he is M in case you forgot. Um, <laughs> the funny thing is I watched these movies out of sequence and I always forget that M's even in this movie, you know, because for your eyes only, obviously we don't have him. And I think that the, the, the minister, uh, Jeffrey Keene, who plays the minister of defense yeah. is, infinitely more charismatic and memorable him, him. why not yeah he I was mean, already he was an established in... character mm. mm-hmm. yeah and even if you even if you just have him like step into the role of m like there's no real explanation of the new m here but uh he gets the standard briefing with bond and we find out that there's some fake eggs out there and some real eggs and they're gonna go to an auction and Following that, we have uh, General Gogol, who has a much more expanded... Every movie he's in uh, gets a more expanded role. And he's for the first time, he's not actually in bed. building as well, that he was like that cave. Yeah, he's out of the dark, dusty, spider-infested uh, <laughs> castle he was in before. And they're in this big, giant, evil boardroom. And <laughs> it's, it's evil because the maps are in red and the, <laughs> the, the boardroom table twirls. It's... <laughs> It's really a spectacular set, I think. Hashtag not Spectre. Hashtag McClory. <laughs> <laughs> we're also introduced to... Uh, this is going to become kind of like a From Russia With Love debate, I think, but one of the potentially two or maybe three main villains of this movie, uh, General Orlov, and uh, kind of this interplay between Orlov and Gogol and Orlov's plan, you can already tell, is just to start World War III, which somehow will be connected to an egg, because we see in the next scene he's behind the egg. So everything up until the auction, M's introduction, Gogol, Orlov, and the egg, and the World War III, because those two things are so obviously connected. <laughs> um, yeah, I prefer my egg scrambled. Uh, just a little fun fact. Um... That wasn't even a joke. I really like scrambled eggs. I don't know why I brought it up, but we'll talk about eggs, so why not? A salad and scrambled eggs. Oh, sorry, that's uh, Fraser. How do you two prefer your eggs? I like fried. Mm. Oh, I'm going to go with... I like scrambled, too. Mm, yeah, scrambled. 
Anyway, um, this oh, episode, case. by the way, is now titled <laughs> "Toss Scrabble. Salad and Scrambled Eggs." <laughs> Did we do an eggs one before? I'm not sure. Uh, all right, well, we're just getting a Frasier reference in there for some reason. Is that our random '90s actor there, uh, Kelsey Grammer? There <laughs> uh, you go. Tell us, Hyde Pierce. Um, World War Three. Um, let's talk about that. Yeah, this is the one bit of the plot that isn't really confusing. It is all love wants to take over Europe pretty much and start. World War Three, and he's using the eggs to fund this. Like that's cool. Got the um, it's the bit with the fake eggs and the real eggs that we'll maybe jump into a bit soon later. But this is all like generic stock standard, um, just Bond villain plots. But yeah, it's a fun little sequence with their big boardroom thing. Um, Robert Brown. Yeah, we've got M in an Admiral Hargrave Spectre mask. Um, <laughs> which I still pretend it's the same character. I'm not sure if it was meant to or not, but he does the job. Like, when we, if we ever rank the M's, he's going to be last, although we haven't really seen Ralph Fiennes as M, so that's hard to say at this point. But he will be last. He's no Dench or Lee, but yeah, he does the job. Um, I think he grows into the role a bit more by the time his last one comes around, but he's not overly charismatic, but... Yeah, I agree that the Minister of Defence probably would have made a better M. Um, yeah, that's pretty pretty much it. This is all exposition there. Um, some fun stuff with all Love's introduction and we've got Gogol back being, would you say, a good guy? I don't know if you'd say a good guy, but being a responsible KGB agent, um, mm-hmm. if you could say that. So a responsible Russian. <laughs> that should be a hashtag. But, yeah, all, all exposition and all good stuff here. Sounds like a cocktail. Can I have a responsible Russian, thanks? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, with with um, Robert Brown, he's kind of like the only M that doesn't... I mean, well, obviously, Bernard Lee doesn't. He doesn't need one. But, you know, we, we sort of get a bit with Judy Dench. Like, you know, she's obviously fairly new and she has a you know great opening night line. You know, you're a sexist, misogynist, dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. Like, you know, it's great. And then, obviously, with Ralph, Ray Fiennes, we're getting a bit of that too. But it's just kind of like, oh, here he is. Here's M. There he is. He's different. It's not Bernard Lee anymore. Like, yeah, what happened on leave? Like, Jeez. couldn't they? Couldn't they just, um, you know, tied it in beautifully? And, and imagine if they had been like, oh, you remember Admiral Hargraves? Well, now he's M. Like, yeah, that would have been cool. Just a throwaway line or something like that, and for continuity purposes and things like that. I mean, that, that would have been good. I think that would have been great. Um, but yeah, he's just he's just there. He's always the guy who this isn't a country club 007. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's what he's best known for, isn't it? Probably his most famous. One, yes. <laughs> um, so we're still a few few more years away yet from the peak of Robert Brown as M. Um, <laughs> but I love the whole introduction. Who's the guy that Bond has to go with to Sotheby's? Who's so excited oh, to go with Bond? He's thrilled. Oh, Jim Fanning. Jim Fanning. He's like, you'll go <laughs> Which with Bond. I'm not sure if that's supposed to be a, an entendre name or not. But <laughs> he's just, it's hilarious how he's like eyes light up when he's like, oh, I'll go, <laughs> go to the auction with Bond. Oh, fantastic. That's Colonel Smith. <laughs> yeah. well, we One some... more off the bucket list. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole um, faux Spectre scene. Uh, it's not Spectre. It's glory. Um, my biggest, I mean, it's a great scene. We always love evil bastards around a table like discussing world domination it's fantastic i love all of you know he's evil and yet he gets put into his place by mr google but um my biggest question is google 
The, the, that's what I call him. He's just, you know, a search engine. You know, Google's Russian, so is he, whatever. Um, like, you, they're watching this massive-ass screen, and then they've got a, the whole floor has to spin around to look at the next screen. Can't they just change the channel on the one screen? Like, wh- how much budget do the Russians have? <laughs> like, I know, let's make floor spin so we don't have to change television screen. Ha, 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 evil. Like, Jesus, it's a great set. It's fantastic. But come on, Russians, like, you know, think about timing and costing. This is probably the... This is probably, again, this is no knock on the set, but it is probably the best individual set we've seen since the spy who loved me or at least the most bond classic bond like but you really do have to wonder you know what is going on there i just expected in the scene where after orlov gives his plan and you notice that as soon as uh gogol starts talking to him the floor is spinning behind him and he, he doesn't realize that. i just want him to be like orlov you are mad oh hold on a second a little bit dizzy here just give me a second I'm feeling a little nauseous like what is this a merry-go-round <laughs> <laughs> Or it's just like on Austin Powers when he's trying to spin his uh, chair and it to... doesn't work and then it just loses control on him and it throws him out of the chair. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, one more thing to say on Robert Brown. Again, not to start a long conversation on, as I said, the forgettable am, because I don't think there's anything wrong with him. He's just he's just in the middle, you know? That's his rapper, but... though. <laughs> forgettable am. Do you think it... <laughs> Do you think it hurts the fact that we're being introduced to him here and we don't really have a setup like we had with Judy Dench, but also that he is in the scene with like all these other characters? If, if it was just an individual scene between Bond and M, would his character have been m- more well-received over time? Mm, maybe, but then they also had other characters in with Bernard Lee by the end of his time as well. Um I just think he's not charismatic and it's coming off a guy we've had around for so long, like uh, Grandpa M that we've had for uh, 10 films or so. Um, So perhaps, but I do think you get used to him a bit as it goes on and he's a bit more well-received. But yeah, I just don't think he has the charisma of the other two actors, really. I'd probably agree with Colin because I think, I mean, if you go back to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, we get that one-on-one Lazenby scene with um, Bernard Lee and it kind of sets up a different sort of form of relationship between new Bond and old M, if you know what I mean. Is that the way they are all set up? And I I think maybe an also problem with um, Robert Brown is that if you, I mean, he was whoever followed off Bernard Lee. I guess was always going to struggle. And I mean, if you, and each M has been vastly different, except for Robert Brown. I mean, obviously Judy Dench. Well, she's a woman. Uh, Ray finds she he's like a younger M. Whereas like Robert Brown is basically they've gone for the whole. Oh, he's basically similar to Bernard Lee. So um, that's probably where he sort of loses a lot of points as well. Like maybe if at this point they had gone with a woman M at this point. Or, you know, gone with a younger M or something along those lines. It vastly made M character different. But I guess in 1983, we weren't as um, far advanced in those sort of uh, areas as we were in the 90s and 2000s. Yeah, so after M and Gogol and Orlop's introduction, we have what's actually one of my favorite scenes in the movie. And um, it's not because this is the Ian Fleming scene. I mean, this is taken from Property of a Lady. They even set it up, you know with the line in the movie, the property of the lady. Um, I didn't really know this was the scene, you know, that, that it was coming from, because I obviously saw the movie before reading the short story, but it just plays like something that Ian Fleming would have written. And it plays like something that you could totally picture Sean Connery doing in Dr. Noah Goldfinger. 
this is sort of the first of many scenes where I think John Glenn was making James Bond kind of like classic Bond again. In some ways, this is similar to like Goldfinger where, you know, he's playing the villain a little bit. He knows that he's onto the villain somehow and it's revolving around instead of a gold brick, you know, the Nazi gold, it's a Fabergé egg. And it's sort of this back and forth banter. And it's like, there's so much happening in this one scene that's basically an auction over a Fabergé egg. Um, I'd love the scene. We have introduction to Kamal Khan here, introduction to Magda. You're not really sure what's going on with them. Um, Bond switching the egg out. It's it's a nice little trick that you kind of have to go back and watch the movie to see him do it because it is so subtle. And uh, you know, just the idea that Bond is doing this in a way to mess with him, uh, I really like this scene. Yeah, that's a fun scene. We'll get to the dice uh, scene later, but this is kind of the golf scene in a way. Um, although it is, it is a bit like you only live twice with the rocket. Like, what if he did win the auction, which they bring up? It's like Bond goes bankrupt and has to, like, sell himself on the streets or something to make ends meet or something. But, um, yeah, like... Saki Saki Yeah, like, what if he did he win? sell himself like... Bond Bond turns gigolo as a result of <laughs> losing all of all of Europe's money in this one scene. Grows a massive beard. Uh, <laughs> loses a cane with a purple suit. Ranch. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, that would have been funny if he did win the thing. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed the auction scene too. And it's a cool introduction to Khan, and you got Jim Fanning along the way there. Um, so yeah, I think it's, and I agree. Like you could picture this in a Fleming story as well. It's a good scene. I love how you brought up like it's basically the golf scene because this whole time I'm thinking about it. Like, yeah, I mean, this is a good scene. I'm not going to take away from it, but we're sitting here watching an auction. Like it's like back in golfing. We're watching people play golf. Like you try and sell that to people. It's not exactly the most exciting thing in the world, but it works somehow. It does work. Um, and it is kind of interesting how they're allowed to look at the item and somehow we can quickly sneak it and swap it over. Like, great security there at Sotheby's. But, um, yeah, the, bloody oath, the crowd are loving the shit out of this auction. Like, 450,000, ooh, 470,000, ooh, like, you know, that's the Mildred, like, Bronx cheer and all that sort of stuff. They're, like, <laughs> losing their shit. Um, watching this, but uh, yeah, no meeting Khan. Just need a laugh track when it goes wrong for Khan or something. <laughs> yeah. No, we need like the, the sitcom, like ooh, with a few like ooh. couple of claps. <laughs> um, and then when like Bond doesn't win it, we hear that ah, oh, clack 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 clack. clack. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we James meet- Bond was filmed in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> We meet Khan, and yeah, like I, I mentioned in my intro, I quite like Khan. Like I, I've often talked about, I really love the sadistic, evil prick villains, and Khan's not really that person, but he's just almost like this charismatic, like rich bastard who just has something about him that I don't know. It's kind of like Zorin, like I don't know, um, not Zorin. Um, what's his name uh, from Moonraker? Um, Drax. Drax. There, there you go. I'm thinking of film ahead in the future. Yeah, it's just kind of like it's. It's like if you're on paper, they're not the best villain in the world, but there's just something about them that I quite like. So yeah, no, this scene, this scene's fun. Um, oh, sorry, I forgot it was my turn to talk. <laughs> um, no, I'm completely with you, Ben. I I not only really like Khan, I love Khan. I think he could potentially rank maybe just outside my top five villains of all time, and. It isn't because he's that great of a villain. I mean, again, I compared this to For Rush with Love earlier, and maybe now is the time to talk about Khan instead of a little bit later, but 
there's this weird juggling act in this movie between you know, is Octopussy a villain? Uh, is Orloff the real villain? You know, he's kind of I think more like the um, uh, the the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes, but you don't see a lot of him. And Khan is you know more of a glorified uh, henchman in in some ways because it's not really his plan, but he gets all the screen time. The actor Louis Jordan, who plays Khan, is just so good in this. Uh, I, I would say, outside of Robert Shaw, I don't think we've seen anybody with this much charisma who can just deliver the most basic line in the world and just have it sound interesting. Uh, I just think he's fantastic in this movie. I love Khan. Yeah, I think he's good. I think outside the top five is a bit extreme. I don't know if he would even make my top ten, but I do enjoy him. I. Uh, I talked about how this was super campy, but I do think it's a toned-down film. I mean, a toned-down villain compared to what we've had in the past. Um, but unlike Christatos, Khan doesn't suck. So um, <laughs> they managed to do a toned-down one without um, suckiness. But, and then Orlov is maybe a bit more of that over the top. But even then, he's a bit like flat. Not flat, but he's not Goldfinger. Um so, yeah, I, I think Khan's good. He's suave. He's got some charisma. He on A lot of times he does seem like Bond's equal in a way in just the ways of thinking and ways of acting. Um, but then there's still something lacking there for me. Like everyone, like Orlov, uh, Khan, Gobinda, uh, <laughs> Mishka and Grishka, like there's just something lacking there. So I do like them, but I can't pinpoint it entirely. I think it's just... I'm maybe more of a fan of the way over the top type henchmen and villains. And we talked about how the seventies kind of saw the end of the over the top henchmen until maybe like Xenia or something. But yeah, Khan, Khan is an improvement on Khan and most of the characters in this are an improvement on the horrible villains of the last film. So uh, that's a positive. And I think uh, he could have had, I think they could have made the character slightly better, but I do like him. Yeah, I think you summed it up well when you said that the 70s, and we talked about that. And, you know, I think maybe next movie we will get your bit of overtop villain, mainly also henchman with Mayday, uh, as yeah. in next a proper Eon movie, not Never Say Never Again. Um, but, yeah, and, like, Gabinda alongside him, though, like, yeah, he's okay. But, um, <laughs> you know, just... Yeah, I don't know where I'd rank him on villains. I haven't thought about that. Maybe not top five, but I don't know. Top ten could be a possibility. There's just, you know, when you just you just like someone. It's just, you know, like you two. Like, you know, you're pretty shit, but I kind of like you two. So, like, yeah, that's... <laughs> Are we the Mishka and Grishka to you? You know Rob so Schneider. So. <laughs> or Vargas and... Don't Jenny. mention that V word. <laughs> Vargas and Hans. Well, we never talk um, about Mr. Jenny. We always talk about Vargas. <laughs> No one talks about Mr. Jenny. So, <laughs> Bond arrives in the primary location for this entire movie next. <clears throat> He's in India, and uh, he meets uh, famous tennis star Vijay Armitraj, who um, <laughs> is basically uh, a snake charmer. That's his, You always get these scenes where Bond has to meet his contact, uh, like in From Russia With Love, or even we just saw it with Ferrara and uh, the uh, Fierra's Only but the snake charmer thing, basically playing the 007 song, I always, uh, I always wonder when the, these string of movies came out where you have 
you know, nobody does it better in there, and the the janitor whistling Goldfinger. Just if these songs do exist in James Bond's world, and what association he has for them, like is is he just like, oh, there's that annoying song on the radio again when he hears the 007 song, that Mission Impossible Um, theme. (laughs) Yeah, there's some TV show out there that 007 is the theme of, and. Underneath the mango tree is on the greatest hits with nobody does it better. They're both by Rita Coolidge or something. Um, (laughs) I don't know what the deal is with two movies in a row, sports stars, because I don't want to get too much into VJ, but here we have them hiring a sports star to play handled better than I think BB last time where they're like, well, let's get this figure skater who wants to be an actress. Let's have her playing a figure skater, even though there's no place for a figure skater in the movie. I'm still a virgin. (laughs) That was a He's, bad Indian accent. Yeah. <laughs> it almost had a Canadian. No? <laughs> Canadian Indian. But, like, he, he has a better role in this, but I don't know, is, it a, is this a John Glenn thing where he just has a thing for putting sports stars in movies? I don't know. They go yeah. to the hotel where you find out the hotel staff unpacked Bond's clothes and, I'm assuming, underwear too, which is kind of awkward. <laughs> and then we get the, okay. the, the real good scene. <laughs> Uh, Kamal Khan and his backgammon scam that he's pulling, which, again, more comparisons to Goldfinger. It's funny because I always looked at A View to a Kill as the movie that I disliked in ways because it was too much a ripoff of Goldfinger. And here I'm finding all these Goldfinger things, like the backgammon scam. It's like, you know, the uh, Goldfinger playing cards at the beginning. You have Gobinda crushing the dice at the end of the scene, which is just odd job crushing the golf ball. Uh, the it's, golf ball is more impressive. Fun, it's a lot more impressive, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's the exact same scene that we saw before, but it's it's just a little bit different. And I think it's handled kind of uh, decently in this one. Not great. It's not like the best gambling scene we've ever seen. But overall, I like it because again, Khan is so good and he's so charismatic, and Bond's having a lot of fun with him in this scene. Um. Well, yeah, on the theme, I love it. I always love self-referential things. Well, not always, but most of the time. Like, I'm perhaps the only fan of this never happened to the other fellow. Um, <laughs> I think it's great that the snake charmer is playing the Bond theme. Um, uh, yeah, and then you mentioned, uh, I think you mentioned Gold Sovereigns, um, throwback to Red Grant. Uh, I always love the Sovereigns. Um, I, I guess we might as well talk about VJ for a bit. He... <sighs> He's a terrible actor. <laughs> like, really not a good actor. Is he yeah. better or worse than uh, Lynn Holly Johnson, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd love to see them have a uh, duo TV show or something. But, oh, um, <laughs> buddy cops. <laughs> yeah. I want to capture the bad guy. <laughs> VJ, I, I've read some good things about him. I'm not a fan. Like, I coming off Columbo, although the 70s didn't really have many good allies at all, so it's good to be getting back to the allies and then Vidal Kill will be having some allies and then Felix will be back, albeit in a horrible small role, but still. Um, so, yeah, it's good to have a Bond ally and he has his moments. I just think he's a bad actor and not that engaging, really. He only has a few lines and like not much really to do with anything. Um then the scene you mentioned, I love the Bond in a white tux again. Um, I really like the backgammon scene, um, but it's a bit silly that 
he rolls sixes every time and no one's suspicious of that, <laughs> like, every time. Um, and I, I really like it with the, like, like this egg is my uh, protection or whatever he says. Um, so I think that's a kind of cool scene. I love the Bond request to have it in cash and that when he tries to write the check. So um, I like the scene and it's cool that um, unlike a lot of the other films that Khan and Bond have already had some sort of indirect um, interaction. So, yeah, I think it's a good scene. I want to know what you're smoking, Noah Gross. How can you not like VJ? VJ is awesome. Like, you can't act for shit, but I don't know. He's just cool. Like, he's like Indian James Bond. And the the actor who played him, like, he's actually... I'm just reading a bit about him. Fairly successful tennis player. Um, made the semifinals of uh, Wimbledon in the doubles. Made quarterfinals of uh, both Wimbledon and US Open in... Singles beat players like Jimmy Connors and played up against um, Bjorn Borg, John McEnroe in finals. So he's a fairly uh, esteemed uh, tennis player. Was the ATP most improved player in 1973 and um, also won the fourth highest civilian honour in India, the Padma Shri. There you go. Congratulations, VJ. Um, <laughs> yes. Thank you, Wikipedia. Well done. Yes, I'm good at reading shit, but um, I'm learning. See, I'm learning how to read. <laughs> Um, he hated snakes, though. So the whole scene with the snake charm a bit and the overdub, as Noah mentioned, I'm stealing your line, but you didn't mention it, um, of him saying, like, worst cover ever, I hate snakes, um, was basically true. But, you know, the backgammon scene, that's fun. Um, <laughs> it's when um, Gabinda crushes the, the dice I've written here. Ooh! <laughs> Ooh, toughy. <laughs> like, well, good on you. Um, and when he gets the money, does he... Does, now, I've written it here, and I really want somebody to clarify what he said, because I didn't go back with the subtitles. When Bond handed the money to VJ, did he say, keep you in curry for a few more weeks? Yes, he did I say heard that. curry. I yeah. Very yeah. Now, is that slightly racist? Yeah, I had the subtitles on, and I was like, oh, really? Hashtag facepalm. Uh, yeah, well, so I was like, what? <laughs> uh, in all honesty, though, I mean, I don't... There are tons of immigrants from India that live here, and uh, actually, one of my one of my best friends he uh, uh, he just left for India, but he he lives here. And I was asking him about this, you know, having leading into Octopussy, and asking him like, "Oh, do you know these actors?" And I'm like, "Oh, there was one guy in the movie, you know, uh, some tennis player, VJ," and he immediately knew who it was. But, but like, in all honesty, I mean, he'll even say like he eats curry for almost every single meal. I don't know if it would be racist. <laughs> I love curry. It's just I love curry too. I, mean, I love curry, but I mean, it's like if yeah, if, but I, I don't think it's racist. But like, this is coming from James Bond, who's an asshole who <laughs> would probably have bad intentions. It's not like he's calling somebody a kangaroo bum or something. That's racist. <laughs> yeah, Henderson. Uh, but anyway, so VJ, uh, he's okay. He's not great. He's not terrible. He's better than BB. Uh, oh, we do get. BB. <laughs> we do get a chase scene that follows this, which is the first of many chase scenes in the movie. And the first thing I notice is that we're quite a ways into the movie now, and it's the first real chase scene. And again, this is where John Glenn, I think, even though I consider For Your Eyes only to be a much better movie than this, this is where John Glenn's improving as a director. He's not as impatient, where For Your Eyes only had about 12 chase scenes at this point. We have the first real one. And it's not really like huge action packed. And I think this is kind of a way they cover for Roger Moore's age. It's just made up of these fun little bits where. Moore's going to throw a guy on the, the spikes, you know, on the, the, the bed of nails, and then he's going to uh, throw a 
flamethrower, not a flamethrower, but a torch at a guy, and he's going to pull a sword out of a sword swallower. So it's kind of this chase scene made up of that and throwing the money in the air. Um, more of a fun chase scene. I, I think there are better chase scenes in this movie, but it was a fun one to start it out with. Made completely unnecessary by the fact that you have this very famous tennis player, and they had to have a brief mention of him being a tennis instructor earlier. And for whatever reason, he's carrying a tennis racket, and he hits a guy over the head with a tennis racket in this chase scene. Almost killed it for me, but not totally. Well, you didn't even mention the back and forth of the crowd. <gasps> oh, yeah. John Glenn's nude pigeon double take, the, the tennis yeah, well, crowd. I'm surprised there wasn't a pigeon in this thing because there was a lot going on. But yeah, I hate the tennis stuff. You guys know that I'm a fan of uh, like really campy and silly Bond, but this is not my style. I do not like it at all. Um, this is like Margaret Thatcher. Um the tuk-tuk chase I, I like. I do like when Bond puts a bit of a spin on the same old, same old. And I think that's fun. The tennis stuff really does bring it down a bit. And it's not like a great chase anyway. But I do like the tuk-tuk chase through uh, Delhi is a bit of a unique thing for Bond. And we didn't really talk about the location, but we can maybe talk about that later. But, um, yeah, bad tennis jokes I've written here. Um the sword stuff and all that, there is a lot going on in this scene. Um, some of it's all right. Some of it's just silly. Um, yeah, <laughs> again, like this film, it's just stock standard. It's just, it's not overly bad. It's not great, but I do enjoy the tuk-tuk chase. So. I, I love the, the throwaway line about the company car when he's about to drive off. I think that's fun. I love the tennis stuff. Am I, am I like weird? Like I'm bagging the shit out of yes. Moonraker. Are you weird? That was a dumb question. <laughs> bagging out for the Moonraker camp, but I just think it's funny. Um, and if you don't know, he's a tennis he player. And then, yeah, I like the whole, the better spikes and the ginormous subtitles on the screen. He's like my best. Like what's with the, like the subtitles that you have half the screen on him. Like, that is the weirdest subtitles I've ever seen. And he what has the um, run over the hot coals as well, and he's losing all his money. And I love it when he throws it, and he's like, Rupiah! Everybody's, like, running up. 50,000 rupees. He really, like, you're going back to before when you're talking about Bond being broke because he's accidentally bought the egg. Should we just laugh at the fact that he's just randomly won 200,000 rupees? Like, <laughs> does he have to give that back to the government? Or can he just go on, like, a spree of, like, hookers and drugs in India? Like, <laughs> he gives it mostly away. I'd love somebody to find out how much 200,000... Bond was on a bender in India. <laughs> how much is 200,000 rupee? Like, I'd love to know how much that is in actual, um, like, I was going to say real money, but that's a bit wrong. Um <laughs> That was worse than the current. I think it was. Um, and I, I do like the fact that they disappear through that advertising thing and it just automatically gets covered up and Bond's throwaway, throwaway line certainly pays to advertise. Um, yeah, it's fun. You know, tuk-tuk chase. Let's let's see more of that. Um, 200,000 Indian rupees is approximately $3,087. Canadian? <laughs> is that re- that's seriously, that's that's what it says here. $3,000. So, wow. probably not that impressive. Is I that hear him thinking cost like this though? big... Uh, well, that would be today's. So, so what, what I mean, dollar? Are we yeah, Canadian, American, US? What dollar are we looking at there? Well, this is Australia? US dollar. Okay, so yeah. that's, that's about yeah, 5000 Australian. Not too bad. 
But adjust for inflation, it might be a bit more. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know if Gobinda should be crushing dice over 3,000 bucks. I mean, <laughs> come on, Khan. Khan wants to play again. Do they have a whole stack of it's these like, dice They're like special somewhere? dice. They're expensive to make. Yeah. <laughs> you crushed the wrong dice, Gobinda. My dead wife gave them to me. <laughs> Khan's backstory. Um, <laughs> moving on from that. Uh, <laughs> We have uh, the next scene, which is Q on the scene. Um, these are fun scenes, but I know I always kind of complain about why is Q there. This one really didn't make sense to me because Bond only landed in India about four hours earlier. <laughs> as soon as he landed, he immediately met VJ, and VJ said, oh, yeah, this afternoon you'll find Khan playing at the cu- club. We're immediately following that, and Q is already on the scene, and it's not like something where you could just explain away and say, yeah, Q was already there because he basically says, "Oh, I had to rush down here because of you, Bond." Uh, <laughs> it kind of really bothered me. Double O seven, the latest out of Q lab. But there's still it's it's your standard Q scene. It's got some fun lines in there. Um, having some trouble keeping it up, Q. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we could really quickly talk about the next Q on the scene scene. Uh, if there's anything really to add on this. Oh, there definitely is. Um, <laughs> this bit just had me cracking up. How <laughs> wrong how silly. <laughs> um, I hope Ben is also thinking about uh, zooming in on Karen's um, Karen's breasts. <laughs> oh, yeah, the boob shot. <laughs> and so Roger bad. Moore's face when he gets caught out. And just <laughs> zooming in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, super fast on the camera. <laughs> oh, I was cracking up, literally laughing out loud at just how mental that scene was. <laughs> Man, we know you have some opinions. But it's the epitome of sexism in James Bond. Like, I don't care what anybody, you know, slapping on the butt. This is man business. We've got a scene of him just, like, zooming in on tits. In and out, in and out, in and out, super quick. Um, The one that made it worse is him poking it with a stick going, jiggy, jiggy, jiggy. (laughs) And just his face when he gets caught is hilarious. It's just such a wrong scene. Uh, I can't believe they did that, but. Different times, I guess. Um, but yeah, and then also Smithers is back yes. uh, testing out some things. Um, Karen. And we get the homing device that will come into play later on. But yeah, zooming in, just I couldn't believe what I was watching and it was cracking up at just how bizarre that scene was and Roger Moore's face. I need to go back and watch that. <laughs> We don't have the best gadgets in this film, do we? I mean, we get little liquid screen TV and what the corrosive pen juice, but like it's yeah, you know, it's not it's not too much. And I mean, I think Q on the scene is a lot more fun when we get him later on in the the hot air balloon and he gets yeah. his moment with the girls and it's like, oh, don't get too excited. Well, maybe later. Like maybe that's how he gets it up. Um, but yeah, just the whole boob thing. Like, oh my god, like. How? How did they? They like nineteen eighty three was a fun time. It appears to be able to make James Bond movies, um, but yeah, I don't know. If I've got really anything else to add? I think Noah summed it up perfectly. And the poor actress who played Karen, like, <laughs> is that what she's best known as? Oh, I was the boobs that got zoomed in and out of on Octopussy. <laughs> I think they were stunt boobs. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, I'm not showing my boobs on Zoom. I oh, will get an extra. 
But what what happened to Sharon? Because now they've got Karen. Did Sharon get fired when she didn't lock up? She couldn't get a passport. Like, what happened? Hugh just doesn't remember her name. That would be a funny recurring joke if they had the same actress and like Hugh, as he gets older, changes the name every time. But yeah, this is one of the best Hugh films. So he's got a lot of fun fun stuff to do though. Again, it doesn't make sense for him to be in it, but I will agree. I mean, he is very entertaining in this movie, and it's really at the expense of Lois Maxwell and you know a proper M. But uh, Q is, I think this is kind of we've been teasing for the last couple movies about how Q becomes more and more prominent throughout the Roger Moore movies. And I think this is probably his most prominent role he has all the way up until it, probably his final one. Yeah, agreed. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Good. It's good when we're all in agreement. It's not going to last long. Uh, so after this, we get uh, a series of scenes where Magda's properly introduced. Is she a Kamal Khan henchwoman? Is she an octopusy henchwoman? It's kind of confusing. I'm still not entirely sure, but Bond dines with her, and uh, then he beds her, and then she unwinds and drops out of a balcony after stealing the egg, and... Uh, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I always forget about Magda as a character. It's not like she's incredibly memorable. I think that the actress at times, it, it's this is going to sound mean, but when she speaks, she kind of overacts and is a bit annoying. But when she's a silent character, she's actually kind of <laughs> intriguing, I think. Uh, I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think that her acting skills aren't Same quite, with Odd you know, Job. When he speaks, uh, it's ruined. Yeah, uh-huh. 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 If we just had Magna, uh-huh, the entire movie, it would have been a little <laughs> bit more awkward. But, but no, I, I really like her as a character. Just so that She has more screen time. You know, we complained a lot about the henchmen in these movies, and I kind of said in For Your Eyes Only, the issue was that they, they weren't eccentric enough, and they didn't have interesting looks. Well, in this movie, I think a lot of the henchmen do have an interesting look about them, whether it just be their costume or, you know, the, the crazy eyes that Gobinda has. But I don't think that really helps them. Whereas I think Magda, just the idea that there's this character that seems to be doing all the work is what makes her more interesting. So she's one of my favorite characters and I like all the scenes here. And of course we, we can't go without mentioning probably one of the most ridiculous lines in the history of Bond movies where he's like, what's that? She goes, that's my little octopusy. Um, <laughs> that has to be a quote at the end of this episode. If I can pull that. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm with you with Magda. Um, like, I always thought this was like Spy Love Me and Octopus is the only Bond girl in this. Um, and I kind of forget about Magda sometimes. She's all right. Um, most famous for That's My Little Octopussy, which I can't believe that is a line of dialogue in a film. Um, yeah, I don't I don't think I like Magda as much as you. Um, I do like the escape kind of thing and the egg for your life um, is quite good. But I think you pretty much covered it. I don't think Magda's going to go down as one of the best Bond girls in the history of the films, uh, best known for having an octopus sea tattoo. <laughs> she's just the nothing. Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> she's just there and she has sex with Bond. And um, I, the line that I kind of thought was a bit more, um, I thought they were going to play with it, but it kind of just went away was when she's like, I need refilling. Um, <laughs> I was like, really? What, what's going on here? But yeah, the whole Missed opportunity. Octopus, Not at Moore's age. I, I don't get why she has to say it's my little octopusy. Like, if you know, if it's you say like, oh, it's the excuse. You've got to get the name of the title in the film. The character's name is Octopussy. Like, they don't need to say this here. 
Um, it's just, yeah, it's a Fun bit... fact that the alternate title for Moonraker was actually Goodhead. <laughs> Goodhead. <laughs> I think that fell flat. Oh, Goodhead, her name was Goodhead. This one um, was either going to be Octopussy or Smallbone. It was <laughs> really a toss-up. <laughs> Um, but I think that the if you actually watch the trailers on the um on the special features, there's a scene that they obviously filmed here that they only used in the trailer, and it's like um Magda uh like making out with Bond, and it's like really forceful the way she does. Lucky like she's eating his face, and then he kind of like turns yeah. to the camera and he's like cracking up laughing, and he's like all oh, the things I do for England or something similar to that, and it's just so awkward. And I was waiting for that to be in this scene, but obviously they only just filmed it for the trailer, but. But, um, yeah, no, I've got nothing really to add. And on Magda, she's just the ultimate meh. I'm kind of surprised that you're taking that position because here, I mean, we, we went for about an hour and a half on uh, um, not Penelope Smallbone. What was the the Diamonds Are Forever one? See, I'm already forgetting because she's not Plenty a real bomb. Plenty O'Toole. Plenty O'Toole. Yeah, you went for an hour and a half on Plenty O'Toole. Here we have a character. It's Plenty O'Toole. <laughs> Well, I mean, Magda does more in this movie than Khan or Octopussy combined, if you really think about it. No, nah, no. Nah. Plenty O'Toole wins every time of the week because she's fucking Plenty O'Toole. Magda <laughs> If Magda's name was Magda O'Toole, would it have been differently? No, if it was, like, if she had personality <laughs> like Plenty O'Toole, then yes. <laughs> but she's like a piece of cardboard. Like, she's just, you know, you can put her in a cupboard when she's done with her. There's nothing... There. Well, they actually used her cardboard cutout for the opening titles. <laughs> yeah, that's where they got her from. That's what Colin wants to see, just her as a cardboard cutout not saying anything. <laughs> yeah, I think your comments were worse than ours, Colin. Shut the Yeah, I'm the one defending up. her, and I'm like, she's good when she doesn't say anything. Be, no, like, a, be like a woman again, in the 80s. Don't speak. <laughs> it's the dining scene more than anything. What I find, and you really have to watch it to understand this, but. When she speaks, she's always overacting with her facial expressions, and that's what kind of bugged me. But the idea of her character, I think, is really fun. And when, when she's just sort of doing things like dropping from a balcony and unwinding herself, like that's such a cool escape. I mean, if you're not going to give the character anything, that scene alone is fantastic. Can I just quickly say a cool behind-the-scenes thing about that that I was reading is that um, the she really has an. Yeah, she really has an octopus. Yes. Um, Christina Wayborn actually did that stunt herself um, by wrapping that up and um, climbing down. And it was filmed twice. So, like, the first bit of her coming out of the window was in the hotel and the second bit of her landing was filmed at Pinewood. So, there you go. She had a future career as a stunt woman. Um... (laughs) Barbara Simmons. And what stunt women don't do, Colin, they don't speak. So... That's right. <laughs> what was the actress's name? Um, what did Christina Wayborn. Christina Wayborn, yeah. Was Christina yeah, Wayborn she really didn't do uh, that. Karen's middle part in that scene as well? Yes. <laughs> she, yeah, she was the central Karen's boobs, yes. <laughs> she was the boobs. <laughs> yeah, it, it is kind of sad, though. I mean, the only thing... look, look If you look at her IMDb filmography, like two guest appearances on The Love Boat, one on Airwolf, one on MacGyver... <laughs> <laughs> one on Dallas, one on designing women. She's a product she of the age. Watch. Wow. Yeah, I mean, she really she was the boobs. Pretty much, yeah. But uh, uh, I don't know. I, I still think Meg does it one of the more fun characters of the 80s. Um, after this, we have very brief introduction, uh, introduction to... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Introduction to Khan in Octopussy's little cult. Uh, Octopussy's just sort of a shadowy figure, and we still don't know 
who she is or what her purpose is in the movie. Not that we know when the movie's over either, but she's introduced. And <laughs> then Bond, who had been knocked out by Gobinda's kind of in prison. And uh, I find it weird that when he wakes up and he's clearly behind bars, he's in a bathrobe. Like, I'm wondering, did Gobinda just strip him of his tuxedo and put him in this nice linen bathrobe afterwards? Dr. No, kind of an awkward delete. Yeah, it's like pervy Dr. No again. <laughs> Yeah, tucking him into the middle of the night. <laughs> um, then we get the dinner scene with Khan, which is interesting. There were two moments in this movie where I thought, oh, they ripped this off of Indiana Jones, knowing that this movie came after uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. But I didn't realize that the, the moments here that I was thinking of are actually still to come. There was the part when they made the escape and the tuck tucks, like you said, and they kind of replaced the poster that they drove through, which is really the end of the Last Crusade escape. And then... Here we have this whole dinner scene in India where there's got to be something disgusting to eat, and they bring out the sheep's head, uh, and Khan eats an eyeball. That's kind of a Temple of Doom scene, I thought. Hmm. But then this, well, I was actually going to uh, bring that up when watching this film. Do you think this film was influenced by Raiders of the Lost Ark? Because I got that vibe too. Same. I wrote Indiana the Jones well, in my notes for a few things here, like yeah. the Tarzan escape and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, what what part of the Tarzan escape was influenced from Raiders, though? No, just, like, the whole feel of it, like, uh, escaping from the guys and that just felt like Indiana Jones to me. Maybe I'm the only one who fought in that scene, but just a lot yeah. of this well, film, just little moments, not yeah. necessarily particular scenes, but... I agree. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think, I think it just has something to do with the fact that, again, the times changed in the movies, and... I think Bond often has to keep up with the times. Like a lot of people say, you know, Casino Royale and Quantum Assaults especially were really trying to not imitate, but just kind of be on level with the Bourne movies. And obviously the, the, the Pierce Brosnans had a little bit more of like a, a John Woo style to them at points, you know, flashier action. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it was probably just an eighties thing. Like Raiders was big at that point And, Rambo was about to get big, so they had to go, you know, more violent in the next ones. But yeah, maybe there is something to that. Well, but we'll I, I just the living daylights, which I still think is influenced by indie. But yeah, mm. oh yeah, well yeah, there'll definitely be moments in there. But uh, there's the dinner scene with Khan, and uh, I was thinking at this point, this entire movie is sort of the opposite of Fear Eyes Only, where it was just nonstop action. Because again, we've had one real action scene here, and. You know, we have a dinner scene and then we have Bond just sort of sneaking out and looking around and you find out Orloff is there and it's just about them finding out there was a bug in the egg and everything and Bond's little escape. So uh, just standard exposition scenes for the most part, but uh, a little bit of a fun stuff with the sheep's head and the, the dinner scene with Khan. Again, anything with Khan, I think, makes the scene better than it should be. Uh, yeah, the dinner stuff. Is fine. It just seems like this whole film is Bond and Khan, like in civilized like situations, like not <laughs> touching each other. Um, but what a hard life, Ben! What a hard life. That, um, <laughs> you go off at me. It was Colin too. <laughs> <laughs> what a hard life that James Bond lives. That he's forced to have like this luxurious dinner with uh, people in like a castle kind of setting. Um, yeah, again, eyeballs. Well, yeah, I would try it. Lucky it's, guy. I'll eat anything if it's free, Colin. Um, <laughs> piece of shit. 
Hashtag Noah Job jokes. Um, yeah, again, like this film, like it's not like this is bad stuff. There's just not a huge amount to talk about. It's such such a stock standard film that it's like, yes, it's a dinner scene. Um, and I'm assuming we'll talk about like the whole escape sequence in a minute. But, yeah. Um, yeah, and we've got Khan and Orlov uh, meeting up again as well. I believe that's around that point as well um, with the chopper, is it? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, that's fine. And you've got Octopussy there, right? Um, I'm not sure if we're going to talk about her quite yet or not, but yeah, it's, it's dinner. <laughs> bon appetit. <laughs> my, my question is why does Khan capture him to have dinner with him? Like, is this just like Moonraker? He says. No, He's lonely the after the death of him. his wife. <laughs> <laughs> his beloved dies. <laughs> I thought that this movie explained it better than other ones because Bond even questions that. It's like, well, why am I still here? And I think, I can't remember the exact line, but Khan says something along the lines of, you know, I, I want to find out a little bit more about what you were doing. So there's a little bit of an explanation there for it. Yeah, I, I saw, I just, I don't know, it just seems, it goes out, a lot, uh, out of the way a lot to try and ask him some questions. <laughs> like, he, you know, he's gotten the egg, um, move on. Like, you don't, why do you need to get extra information? Um, but no, I mean, it's it's still a fun scene. And yeah, it's funny, actually, you mentioned Indy, because I'd written that down. And um, obviously, another key scene in this movie related to Indiana Jones is the fact that uh, VJ hates snakes. So, um, stay taken straight from uh, Indiana Jones. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of that Bond always seems to get kidnapped by the big villains and taken to their, you know, luxurious mansions and that and dine with them and gets to like go to bed in a nice room and, you know, like I kind of want to be captured by evil people if this is what happens. Cause like they get nicer lives than I do. I'd eat an, an eyeball if it meant I get to sleep in that house and, you know, be a stone throw. Ben away wants from... to be undressed by Gulbita and put into <laughs> satin pajamas. Well, I'd be a stone throw away from um, Gymnast Island. I'm there, but like the the, the whole introduction of um, Octopussy too. Like, I love the scene when they're talking, and you're obviously only just seeing the back of her, and the bit when she's like trying to say no, and she's just like getting a finger, like going ah ah ah, and then she's like no, <laughs> like just the way you get that no finger. Um, and I love the use of the the blue no ring up the no. Finger. Is that like it's Doctor No and Gold Finger teaming up? Yeah, it's a, it's a love child. Yes, <laughs> no finger. Doctor Gold, and um, he's got no fingers. <laughs> That's no the finger. evil quirk of that villain. I have no fingers. Um, My name is No Finger. I like coincidentally. The, I have no finger. The blue ring octopus. Which, um, for those who don't know much about it, I mean, we're taught a lot about them in Australia because. Um, they're quite frequent in uh, certain parts of this country, and uh, they are highly deadly, one of the most poisonous creatures in the world, and there's no anti-venom for them. So, uh, yeah, any Australian listening to this would be quite aware of what a blue ring octopus can do. Yeah, that guy, he didn't stand a chance. He was dead the time that sucked his face. They were missing a pun there, like, I thought you enjoyed calamari or something like that. <laughs> it's not Timothy Dalton. Have a nice seafood dinner or something. <laughs> This dinner will suck you in. Like, they missed something. <laughs> Must have sucked the living daylights out of you. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Kalmara. Uh, 
Um, I was going to find a way to fit Octopussy and Sucks in the same one, but I don't think that would be appropriate for this podcast. <laughs> you already told us that you want the women to be silent, so maybe leave it at that. <laughs> Jamie, stop talking. Not all of them, just Magda. Just Magda. Um, and Cam. Yeah. And Octopus. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on before I get in more trouble. And um, small boy. Boy. I, small boy. I think that uh small boy. I think that you Noah you you mentioned not really liking this next scene, which is kind of surprising because I love this next scene as, as much as it is kind of filled with a lot of ridiculous moments. I think there's some good tension in it too, and it's just a huge spectacle. Uh Bond who's been hiding in a body bag to get out of there escapes and we basically have a manhunt. Um <laughs> this giant Indian safari manhunt with uh Khan on the back of an elephant, and you know Harry Saltzman, Saltzman nine years later, made happy. Yeah, Saltzman's elephant shoes were finally <laughs> put to good use nine years later. They recoup, recoup some of the investment on that. Uh, but I mean, this scene is funny because I was—I never really remember how many things are in here. Everybody knows the tiger, you know, because of that great moment where the tiger jumps out. Uh, but I just had one animal after another writing down here. I'm like spiders, tigers, elephants. Uh, snakes, leeches, crocs, Crocodile. Tarzan. Um, we get Octopus-y. Bond's Tarzan yell, and right up there with, as we said, the uh, we mentioned on the last podcast, which we will put to rest, the "Fear Eyes Only" skiing scene between BB and Bond, where BB's like, "Woo!" <laughs> if you do listen to the very end of our episode, you do hear Bond in the background like, "Woohoo!" <laughs> He has this kind of really overly excited moment here with he he's in the body the bag. He gets a... <laughs> the best bit of the movie. Bond going, rawr, when he's in the body uh, bag. Bond being a ghost. John Glenn loves his jump scares. <laughs> it's like a... Bond imagining waiting in that going, oh, they're getting to me, they're getting to me. Boom. It's just, it's also the fact that like, Bond could simply jump up and like make a really terrifying shriek, like ah! But instead, he feels like Whoa! in Bond's mind. That's scary. But, I, mean, but, I love this scene. I think there's so much going on in it. It's just hilarious, and the, the tension's really good. Like I said, just the spectacle. One of the problems with I think the '80s movies is that I don't think it's necessarily the Bond movies just got generic, but movies got to a point where they're always filming in these big locations and. It was hard for Bond to stay on top, and this is one of those moments where you Bond's see this giant on top. <laughs> <laughs> but you see this giant like stampede through the, the jungle and snakes and all this stuff. I mean, it really was something that you couldn't have filmed in a Rambo movie or Indiana Jones or maybe Indiana Jones, but you know, nothing else really at the time. Um, I don't know if I said I don't like this scene. Did I say that? Um, uh, not... you were you were saying that there was some some silly stuff in there that yeah, you weren't as big of a definitely. fan. Definitely. Um, the ghost thing is ridiculous, but it is kind of funny. <laughs> but we joke about it, but they thought this guy was dead. Wouldn't you be, like, terrified if someone you thought was dead? You'd be terrified went, enough if it just pops yeah. up. You'd, if it moved, you'd be shitting I'd be yourself. terrified until I heard somebody go, whoa! <laughs> and you think that's probably less beneficial to Bond because that's going to attract the other guards, too. If he just jumped up, there's a chance that... He could get out, like, unheard. But, um, yeah, there's some stupid stuff in here, but I do love the whole manhunt thing that everyone's out to look for him, and it's like a sporting event almost, um, and the elephants 
And this is a good time to talk about India. I think India is a great location. We're lacking good locations for the past few films. I think that, like Brazil was good, but then Fear Eyes Only didn't really have much good in it. Um, so this is a really cool location that I enjoy, especially this jungle scene. Like the streets of Delhi aren't that thrilling, but I do like uh, all the jungle stuff here. Um, so there's some good stuff. It's just animal after animal. It's like you can't catch a break like this. Jungle is the most dangerous place on earth. Um, yeah, the ghost stuff, the Tarzan stuff is so bad. It's so ridiculous. But it's on a lot of people's like list of like worst Bond moments ever and stuff like that. And I do think it's stupid. But like the whistle, I don't get too upset about things that are like 10 seconds long, if that, five seconds. Like It's such a like, oh, it's happened and now it's not happening anymore. Like So it doesn't bother me as much as some people, but it is stupid. Um, one of my favourite quotes there is when the snake comes over him and Bond says, hiss off. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty funny. Uh, I like to hiss off. Um, and then the escape. So a lot of good stuff. But then I love that he joins up with the tourist b- b- boat. And one of the funniest quotes in the background uh, from one of the American tourists was, get a picture of the guy in the turban. That's just terrific. (laughs) (laughs) That's an actual quote from the movie. Get a picture of the guy in in the turban. That's just terrific. If they've been in India for more than five minutes, they've probably seen more than one of them. Like this, whoa! Haven't seen one of those in a while. The fact that it's like this agent coming out, swimming out to the boat, like all these guns and elephants, and get a picture of the guy in the turban. That's just terrific. Um, <laughs> so I think it's a fun kind of action sequence, but there's just some stuff that annoy me. And his face with the lion or the tiger is just hilarious as well. I um. I love this scene. I mean, just going back a little bit to when he's actually escaping from Monsoon Palace. Can I just say I love Monsoon Palace? That's a fantastic um, <laughs> place. I didn't really mention that. Um, I love the fact that you've got sleeping Indian guard when he's trying to get back into my best guard ever. Um, and then, yeah, we've got jump scare pigeons again when he's climbing along the cliff um, back there. Um, but, yeah, the whole chase, like the... Ah, sex- Sex, sex, sex section. Um, when he's in the body bag, is hilarious. When he's telling the tiger to sit, the tiger like goes to sleep. Like Jesus, Bond should become like the next Steve Irwin. Like, crikey, this tiger's gonna rip my head off, but I just put it to sleep. Um, and then the spiders again. We get throwback to Doctor No. Bond terrified of spiders, um, and they were the fakest looking spiders ever. Can I just? I'm glad that they were fake. Um, and the leech, he's like, just happens to have a lighter on him, burning his nipple off. Like, okay. And then the crocodiles. And when he gets on the boat, what is it? One of the guys says, like, hey, come on, buddy. And then he's like, are you with our group? Like, this guy's just swum from the river onto your boat. Like, no, he's not with your group. But I think we need a JW Pepper on that boat. <laughs> just a little, yeah. little cameo from JW Pepper. Um, but I just have to point it out. I can't forgive the Tarzan scream. Like, no, no, no. We're back to the penny whistle. You didn't need it. It just ruined it. This scene would be almost Hall of Fame worthy if it wasn't for... Ah, like, no. Chewbacca can get away with it. James Bond can. Let's just be honest. Uh, there, there is, there is a time and a place to do a Tarzan scream, and a James Bond movie isn't the place. Um, we have uh, 
Bond meeting up with VJ again and getting a very awkward massage from VJ. This is kind of an odd movie for Moore. Uh, he gets it on with two two women, but he also gets his clothes taken off and his pajamas put on by Gobinda, and he gets massaged awkwardly. This by is what VJ. he was talking about in Skyfall. Yes, it's setting up Skyfall. <laughs> he was talking about Gobinda and VJ. Who says it's my first time? Back so we're going to have to have a video re-editing Skyfall with flashback <laughs> to this. You let the harp like go. Do the, the cheesy porn all-time high music. <laughs> Montage of Bond and all these male uh, friends, air quotes, in India. Uh, yeah, we have uh, the introduction to Octopussy's Island. <laughs> Best island ever. <laughs> it is funny, though, that, like, you know, we had the whole pussy galore and the flying circus thing, and here we have Octopussy and her island full of all women, and they're all in bikinis, and there's really never a question about this being a lesbian thing, you know, whereas pussy galore, <laughs> it was for some reason. He's being a lesbian thing. I just love the, the most, another, this, like, like for your eyes well, only, for your eyes only and um, Moonrake and that weren't so sexist or like, much about the women or anything like this. One of my favourite wrong quotes in this is Roger Moore. Really? Sexual discrimination? <laughs> I'll definitely have to pay a visit. <laughs> I'm just I'm just I'm just imagining the travel brochure with this Octopussy's Island. It's a lesbian thing. <laughs> Sexual discrimination. Lesbian resort. <laughs> Number one lesbian resort of India. <laughs> Let, let's okay, but let's be honest here. I can't be the only one who's thinking like was there supposed to be a lesbian theme in this movie that was cut out or something? Like, what is the... They don't really ever give it... With Pussy Galore, again, at least in the book, they give an explanation of, you know, why is this all-female thing? But why, for Octopussy, are no men allowed on this island? I don't really understand it. And they say no men are allowed, but Kamal Khan seems to come, like, <laughs> his own... Oh, like, well, that's the big twist. understand the, the rules of Octopussy's Isle? <laughs> He's trying to find a new wife. Um. <laughs> It's, just, it's, it's actually it's a reality show. It's the very first reality show. It's Octopussy's Island. Who will choose Kamal women, One island. Yeah, Red suits and camel toes. You're not allowed. <laughs> you should just need camel toe on double R. <laughs> Red suits. How are you talking about like not thinking it's a lesbian thing? The whole time when these women are coming in with the red suits, I'm just like, camel toe. Was that one of the Bond girl was... names? Camellia camel toe. <laughs> it was Camellia toe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Camellia toe. Oh, my God. No, no joke. I was Camellia getting up to get toe. a drink of water. I was getting up to get a drink of water as this scene started, and I hear my wife in the background say, Whoa, you should totally take a look at this lady's camel toe that just flashed the screen. Familiar tongue. Right. Best bong girl name ever. Yeah. <laughs> let's move on from Miss Toe. Yeah, let's move on. Style. Um, but Octopussy does have an island, and it's all women, and. Q has to fish uh, while Bond sneaks in in a crocodile. <laughs> and, uh... I don't know why it's funny, but it is. He's uh, a crocodile! What the fuck? Don't bring up Die oh. Another Day. I yeah. wasn't even thinking about Die Another Day. <laughs> I never made the connection of what the crocodile was from until now. There we go. <laughs> 
Does no, that mean I can it. play this? Oh, we hadn't mentioned it all movie. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it was now we brought it up again. Yes. Oh, okay. Um, gain air composure again. I have to say, like, this is funny enough. This is where I think, you know, the humor of the episode really picks up. But this is where the movie just dragged for me because... Octopussy, considering that right here they're using Ian Fleming's short story of Octopussy in a way, I couldn't care less about her backstory. It just goes on for two or three scenes of her giving that. I don't think I've ever once watched I've probably seen this movie, you know, 10, maybe 20 times in my life. And I don't know if I've ever actually watched the scene and not just completely tuned out. Like, I, I don't want to say this. This is negate Maud Adams. But Octopussy may be just one of the most boring characters as far as their backstory goes ever like do do either you guys really understand what the backstory is supposed to be here well the reason they did it was pretty much all of the backstory is the octopusy short story they incorporated so i guess props to them for trying to incorporate the story into it but you're right that it's kind of drags and kind of sticks out but that's what it is really the octopusy short story in kind of a condensed form i guess well this is yeah i, I mean i get I'm probably jumping a little bit ahead here, but this is where I get a bit confused about the plot. Like, what is... So, is Octopussy in control of Khan and this whole smuggling ring? Is this what it's all about? Like, I mean, Octopussy is evil, but then she's not. And, like, she has a circus. Like, this is... I mean, my... So, she has a circus, which is where they're smuggling in the jewellery, right? And that is that where it all comes through? Mm. I get a bit confused here of Octopussy's yeah. purpose in this yeah. film. <laughs> well, that's basically the gist of it, but... This is part of the problem, and again, I think this is something that John Glenn really has trouble overcoming in his movies, as much as I think that I have a lot of praise for him. I mentioned how BB was just sort of pigeonholed into this movie, and it feels the same way <laughs> here with Octopussy. Pigeonholed. Um, but it feels the same way with Octopussy. Like, they're like, well, we have to include, you know, a Bond girl named Octopussy. Couldn't they have just made Magda named Octopussy and made one character? Like, there's really mm, no purpose definitely. to this. Or, or found a way to just write her into it more. I would have liked it better. And again, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but instead of her being this, you know, the one that you think is maybe behind the scenes of all of this, but you find out that she's just a pawn of everybody else, have her where she's like Pussy Glore. She's equally involved in the scheme, but she has a change of heart at the end, maybe when they double cross her. Don't make it that she doesn't know about the bomb or any of that stuff. Because yeah. it really just, you have to separate now the whole jewel smuggling thing and the bomb thing which are hard enough to connect in the first place i think she's just such a for, for a bong girl who has her name in the title in the film the only time i'm pretty sure um well you definitely um she's just so bland and like it's nice that octopussy is wearing an andrea anders specter mask but like <laughs> did they really need to have maud adams back like she was okay in uh, Man with the Golden Gun, but even then she was quite bland. Um, and it is a complex character in a way, but she just doesn't pull it off. And I do not buy the love story at all. And, oh, oh. James, we're two of a kind. Uh, no, don't mention that song. Um, yeah, she's just a, probably one of the worst characters in this film, like, Khan's better than... Actually, I'm not going to say that because you got Gabinda and Mishka and Grishka and all those other characters. Um, but, yeah, a character who's named after the film should have a huge involvement and be a really important and really strong character. 
And to me, Octopussy is just not that. She's definitely not the worst uh, Bond girl out there, but she's not even that important to the film, really. Yeah, I agree. Like, they have the whole film named after. I mean, it would be like, you know, calling the film Paris Carver. Like, um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a stretch. But, yeah, I mean, the, the creepy thing about it is, too, is that her nickname was from her father. My dad used to call me Octopus, his little Octopussy. Why? Yeah. Why? That's just creepy. Like, her father um, is now injured. Maud Adams, like, you know, nothing against her, and obviously they liked her enough to bring her back, but... I mean, we've talked about kind of our annoyance at how they bring these people back as, as you know, bigger characters. I think it's maybe a little bit different when you say you get Robert Brown brought back who only had a small role and then come back into a bigger role. But when you've really got, like, Maud Adams was a Bond girl in The Man with the Golden Gun, and she's a Bond girl again. It's kind of like what annoys, annoys me about Joe Don Baker, how he's an evil guy, and then he gets brought back as, like, a main ally, like, a decade later. Like, are they that short on actors and actresses in this period of time that, you know, like, are we, are we going to get, um, you know, some other big name being brought back? You know, is Rosamund Pike going to be brought back as, like, a main Bond girl in, like, a couple of years' time for the Craig films? Like, I don't know. I just think it would have been better if you hadn't gotten Maud in it. And, yeah, she's more expansive in the film. And this is where, like, Octopussy and, you know, the plot and things like that, I don't know. It's just, it's a bit strange. I'm going to go on record as saying that I think that she was fantastic in Man of Golden Gun. I think she was one of the best things about that movie. But there really wasn't a place for her in this. And I wish there was more known about why she was in this movie. Because originally they wanted to get an Indian actress. And they they couldn't find one. The ones that they had lined up didn't do it. So they changed it at the last minute. They put VJ in a week. It didn't really work. (laughs) (laughs) But I have to wonder if uh, if it maybe has something to do with Roger Moore because Roger Moore was out of the movie. It wasn't even a question. He was out. They were hiring a new guy. And then they came back and they said, well, we need you for it. Maybe he said, well, get Maude Adams again. But they don't even try to make her look different. And that's, I think, obviously she looks nine years older in this movie. But her look is no different. It's not like Joe Don Baker where he, he is clearly a lot older and not that much more time had passed but he looked a lot older and he obviously looked a little bit heavier even robert brown looked different she just looks like andrea anders nine years later you know and i don't the characters could almost be considered similar you know kind of shady characters a little bit gray so i don't know if it really works having her back in or if it was even necessary this is one of those movies i think you can cut octopussy out of the plot and the movie probably plays a little bit better and it's called Magda yeah. instead of Octopussy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if they did have just a random Indian Bond girl who was just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time and is kind of more of a sidekick, um, or even get, what's the girl in the pre-title sequence? I can't even remember her name now. But Bianca. Yeah, even get Bianca. Like, if you just had Khan and all of us, these two big bad guys, um, ditch the island stuff. I do like the island stuff, though, by the way, yeah. and the whole... Uh, Team Toe, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I think you could have just done this, although we always bitch about, oh, they're not, these guys, Bond girls aren't involved with the plot, like, blah, 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 that's dumb, but it could have almost worked better in this film. Well, you also, the, um, when he checks into the hotel and you're mentioning Colin about how they've unpacked all the stuff, like the, the hotel assistant who's like, is there anything else I could do? I mean, there's an Indian actress, like, why isn't she the, the Bond girl? <laughs> like... 
you know. Get the, is there anything else I can do, girl back? <laughs> but it's, it's interesting kind of how they had no actress to that. But, I mean, this is what's good about some of these Bond films when he goes to these exotic locations. Like, you only live twice. We had Japanese actresses, you know, in Tomorrow Never Dies. We have Michelle Yeoh, hashtag the other girl. Um, it's, it's, you know, <laughs> they, they take an actress from that area, I guess, and, you know, incorporate them into the film. So... I mean, India is a nation of a billion people. I mean, I'm sure back in the 80s it had like 800 million people. If they can find a random athlete as a tennis star to make a male actor, like I'm sure there's uh, plenty of female um, sports athletes in India in 1983 who would have put their hands up and oh, yes, please, I'll be in the movie. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, especially there was the one actress that uh, I can't remember her name, but she was in one of the Star Trek movies and they had her lined up and she dropped out. And again, it would have been perfect casting for something like this. I don't think that you just necessarily, it wasn't necessarily just a thing just with the role or a thing with Maude Adams. It's kind of a combination of everything that doesn't make the character work. Who um, is Octopus? One thing, <laughs> who is Octopus? doing in India? Yeah, that's, Where did she that's get what her I'm team saying. from? The, <laughs> the backstory is all told Why? in this movie and it subtitled it and read it on the air. We would have an answer. But do you ever watch this movie and pay close enough attention to care? And it's weird, like, how she's like, I've been waiting for you. And, like, you dealt with my father and he committed suicide. And she's like, oh, so you want revenge? No, I want to thank you. Like, what? Like, you (laughs) killed yourself. And, like, oh, thank you. Let's have sex. You just talked about how fond you were, how he gave you a nickname and all (laughs) that. Yes, but, oh, he killed himself. Let's bone each other. Like, whatever. (laughs) Well, they are two of a time. They move as one. As they are boning, uh, something interesting (laughs) does happen in the movie. (laughs) Unrelated to that. Um, But there's, again, I've complained about the henchmen during this era as just not being eccentric enough. And I kind of have a disappointment here because I think we're we're introduced to this henchman who has this yo-yo saw blade, which is the creased weapon ever. And it's it, we have a couple of scenes here where he's introducing this, and we get the fight scene with the Yoyo saw blade. And Bond has a couple of uh, uh, moments in there with him. But I almost wonder, like again, I love this this weapon, but I just wish that if they'd given this to Gobinda, Gobinda goes from being kind of yeah, just who cares, he's average henchman to being instantly legendary henchman. Mm-hmm. Why introduce a new guy? Why not just give it to Gobinda? Yeah. Yeah, I actually agree with that because Yo-Yo uh, Sawblade thing is awesome. Like, that's a cool, unique, like, Odd Jobs hat. It's not quite Odd Jobs hat, but, yeah, Gobinder is just flat. Like, he barely talks um, other than having a turban. There's nothing distinguishable, um, if that's even a word, about him compared to Jaws or Odd, odd Job or Knickknack or Whisper. <laughs> but, um Vargas. Yeah, Vargas, Jenny. No one mentions Jenny. Um, um, yes, now we're just listing them all. But yeah, um, <laughs> there is nothing. <laughs> Cha Chang. Um, Cha. <laughs> there's nothing there to distinguish him. But then give him a yo-yo sword blade and running around like a psycho madman with your yo-yo sword blade. Um, Gobinda does shoot up. He's still not, like, top five, top ten, but he's still definitely up there as an iconic one. But now, who remembers Gobinda as a henchman? 
Well, I honestly didn't. Do we? When do we hear his name in the movie? I've written in like the, my notes. It's once. Like, it's I didn't. I had once. to look it up because I couldn't remember his name in the whole movie. I've just written uh, henchman kills. Henchman does this. Henchman knocks Bond out. Who is Yo-Yo Sawblade guy? But yeah, then we get and, does, and he has random laughing man like happy that he's gonna kill him with random sawblade. Um, and then it turns into basically you only live twice poison dart, except this time around Bond doesn't roll over. <laughs> well, he does, but he like stops random yo-yo sword blade man from killing them both. Um, you know, I agree with that. It would have been good to have Gabinda with like walking around like going ah with like a, a saw. Um, the next couple of scenes I'll kind of group in all together here after the fight. You know, VJ's dead. We said VJ <laughs> would have some importance later on. <laughs> Ben's sad for some reason. Ben really gets attached to these characters that most people don't even remember in the movie. How can you not remember VJ? He's scared of snakes and killed someone with a tennis racket. um, After the death of Plenty O'Toole and VJ, like, do you need to help Ben? Well, at least BB didn't die. BB survived. I'm okay. Well, one day. Well, there was the deleted scene at the end. (laughs) Did he get kicked off a cliff? Off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. I want to win the gold medal! <laughs> what is this about to commit you? <laughs> um, yeah, the, this next group of scenes after VJ's death, uh, Bond goes to Berlin. Now the plot starts to come together. Or does it? Um, we now see that Octopussy has her own circus. And uh, they're, they're kind of smuggling these jewels uh, by train. And... Uh, Orlov has a bomb, and there's a bomb on the train, and does Octopussy know about it? I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty obvious connection if you think about it. A circus, smuggled jewels, and nuclear bomb. I could see how Orlov put this together pretty logically in his head. So Bond has a small fight on the train with one of the two, uh, Grishka, um, Kishka, Nishka, I'm Schneider, Schmider, Snyder. <laughs> One of the knife-throwing twins, and he stuffs him in a barrel. Um, there's a very quick scene where Orloff and Bond uh, have a meeting. Um, Bond has a quick car escape, and Orloff has that very distinctive, follow that car, which I loved, uh, the way he sort of screamed it. Orloff is very intense in this movie, which I think I really like about him. Otherwise, he'd just be like you know completely forgettable. And uh, then just a quick thing on the train. So um, covering a lot there, but uh, uh, we have everything, I guess, from the arrival in Berlin up to, you know, Gogol and Orlov scene and the, the early stuff on the train here. Um, yeah, I do like the reoccurrence of M in Berlin. Um, it's kind of a fast jump to, oh, we're in Berlin now, like Berlin calling, like, like <laughs> we needed some sort of thing, do we? Um, I do like how it ties back to the beginning with 009 um, at the circus, like, oh, well, that's why he was a clown. Um, and all the train stuff is fun. We learn that uh, uh, of wants to make the bomb look like an accident so that there's no big blame like that um and then i actually really do like the train sequence stuff there's and this is very indiana jones although maybe before it's time i'm thinking uh last crusade is it i I can't remember yeah Um, so yeah i do really like the train sequence stuff um i'm not sure if we're gonna 
Oh, I won't jump ahead to it because there's some other funny stuff here. But I do like when he um, when there's that shootout at the tunnel. That's really cool because this is a, he's getting an older Bond, but this is some of the most action Bond we've seen from Roger Moore. Like like in Man with the Golden Gun, we said one kill. Like this is like shot the guy in the head and then out there and he's shooting these other guys and then we'll talk about the climax. But I really like that. But yeah, the train stuff is really fun and quite thrilling kind of stuff. Woo! Um, so, yeah, one of the better parts of the movie, in my opinion. I love the fact that it's... And the gorilla suit, of course. Oh, you, yeah, ruined my it even... you ruined my high there, Colin. I was about to get excited. <laughs> um, I love the fact that it, take, it takes this time, this long to go to Germany. Like, I mean, of course, this period of history, Germany's divided, and, you know, the East Germans are just as much commie bastards as the um, Soviets. So, like, why do we never get evil Germans? Like, isn't that a thing in, like, that period of the century? It's not that far since World War Two, But, um... Yeah, I love the fact that when Bonds are first in the circus and he's, like, standing up, an angry German man, like, going, sit down! Like, you know, epitome of <laughs> angry German. Um, but this whole, like, sequence and the, the chase and we get two-wheel Bond again and he goes on the train tracks and um, I love the train bits when he's, like, on the roof and, um, you know, I'm thinking, oh, not the Skyfall or is Skyfall a nod to... <laughs> To Octopussy, probably more away that way, Ben. Um, and yeah, the the bit when he's with Rob Schneider, number one, and he gets him in the barrel or whatever, and when he shoots the um that young um soldier in the head, like that's pretty brutal. I mean, that guy only looked like a kid. Probably his first day on the job. Like, I join German army, and he like opens the door. What's going on in here? Bang! You're dead. <laughs> like, poor guy. <laughs> um, he didn't actually do anything. He was just—he like, was just on his way to a fancy dress. Party. He was—he was just trying to find, like, oh, I made good looking at the circus costume. I love circus. <laughs> Bang! <laughs> <laughs> you do have to wonder, like, with Roger Moore, he—we know that he objected to a lot of the violence in these movies, especially with Bond's kills. But I was really surprised in the opening scene when he was in Cuba and he pulls out a machine gun and all he does is shoot the tires out on this thing and they fly into a chicken coop. I mean, like. <laughs> This is Bond who's going to be shooting random guys in the head in a few, you know, an hour and a half. And yet the beginning of the movie, there are two timid. So th- there's this very bipolar thing going on with the, the Moore movies during the 80s where it's like he's afraid to show any type of violence. And then John Glenn goes like cold hearted Bond, you know, kicking lock off of a, a thing or shooting the, you know, unnamed henchman in the, the face. I think it's just angry grandpa Bond, like, get off my lawn. Like, he's, you know, getting to that age yeah. where he's, like, really angry at the world. So he's, like, coming to set that day and going, oh, milk prices are too high today. Bang! Um, <laughs> you know, he's just losing it. Uh, one thing I wanted to quickly point out, too, what is it about any Bond film with, like, a pussy character, with pussy in the name, and a circus? We had Pussy Galore's Flying Circus and now we've got Octopussy Circus. Like We already mentioned that. Well, I'm Stealing your jokes again. Get over it. Like, it's, it's Pussy Circus. Like, this is the universe I want to live in. <laughs> the other alternate title, title for Octopussy, Pussy Circus. Pussy Cir- that's, that's the triple uh, X version of Octopussy. Lesbian Islands and Pussy Diesel. Circuses. <laughs> Camellia Toe is the star of both films. Um, yeah, after the, this sequence we get into... The one part which I'm going to stand by as my easy nominee for the Hall of Fame here. You said, Noah, there'd be some struggles here. And I think this one really stands up. 
probably the best individual fight we've had since uh, Bond and Jaws file Love Me, the, the train fight between Bond and Gobinda. They're on top of the train. There's swords being swung. Uh, there's some incredible stunts in this sequence. Um, the train fight as a whole, I can't be the only one that loves this. Please tell me somebody else is behind this. Oh, yeah, it's probably some of the best, if not the best, uh, parts of the movie. I don't know if I thought of it as a Hall of Fame, but we're going to be taking anything we can get at this point, um, like VJ's tennis at this point for this film. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely a contender, um, and I think it's really cool. And you you would almost think that it's weird that Kabinda doesn't die here because we're very close to the end of the film. You would think that this would be maybe where uh, Gobinda would take his final uh, fight and then he faces off with Khan later, but apparently not. Uh, Gobinda's there to the very end. Um, but, yeah, maybe this should have been the end for him because Gobinda doesn't serve too much purpose in the end. I think that would have been a cool end of the train fight. I love this scene too. Um, it, it's fun. And, yeah, I could put it up there for the Hall of Fame. I mean, I think there's one scene that gets in the Hall of Fame easily as well, but maybe we'll debate that later. Um, but apparently during the filming of this scene... You're not going to say Penelope Smallborn, are you? <laughs> no, Camel Toe. Um, but the, apparently during the filming of this scene, there was a stunt double that nearly died. They got, like, collected by a yep. pole or something, like, hanging off the train. So they survived. They were out of action for about a year. Yeah. And, oh, the, uh, the guy who um, played random sword... Uh, not sword, uh, spinny thing, yo-yo sword... Um, he like broke his arm or something falling off the thing or his leg, and but he was so keen to finish filming that he was like, "Oh no, I'll go to hospital afterwards," even though he like severely broke a bone <laughs> in his body. Uh, but you know, this is fun. This is great, and yeah, it's kind of strange that he doesn't die at this point as well. So, um, I mean, his death at the end of the movie is great anyway. But um, yeah, I, it's kind of interesting. A lot of this whole sequence, who I noticed here, there wasn't really a whole lot of music going on at this point as well. So, I don't know if any of you picked up on that? I found well, that a little bit strange. Um, I didn't pick up on the silence, but that's something I forgot to mention. Coming off for your eyes only, this was a huge improvement on the soundtrack. It still sounded a bit 80s, but it didn't have cheesy 80s like disco or anything like that. I was really enjoying the soundtrack compared to this and maybe even Moonraker. I always, I'm always scratching my head when I hear people refer to View to a Killer, Living Daylights as like the last great James Bond soundtrack because those were John Barry's last. Because I think both of those are very average in comparison to this. I, I think Octopussy is probably one of my favorite Bond scores from uh, anything posts on Her Majesty's Secret Service. I think it's an amazing soundtrack. Agreed. I don't have too much to add on Ben soundtrack. has no opinion. Because I haven't received it in the mail yet. <laughs> it's, you it's, might even get a free dollar. It's just listening to music, Ben. It's not reading. It's not something that's hard. <laughs> I have my ways of doing shit, all right? So... <laughs> Preferably um, I, have, I do have only one theory about why Gobind is still alive here, and I think maybe it's just poor management, but you know, we still have the other knife-throwing twin here um, that has to be killed, which, very quick moment, which, again, it's not really part of the train scene, but kind of escaping from the train that there's the, those three guys fighting, and there's just that nice little moment where they, they kind of going through the woods, and they end up at that cabin or whatever, and He's like, this is for my brother, and then Bond kills him. Like, that was for 009. Like, oh, I, I just love Bond bringing it back. Like you said, bringing it back to 009. Again, another one of those things that maybe could have made a slight improvement on the movie, I think, if you weren't focusing so much on a Fabergé egg or even a bomb and just made it about 
kind of like Dr. No, they, they took out one of our operatives, you know, Strangways, find out what happened to Strangways, find out what happened to 009. So it, it's nice to have that little moment just reminding you what this movie started with. I feel like that scene is quite iconic, is it? I feel like I see that in, like, montages and documentaries, but I'm not sure if, if I'm just dreaming that up. Um, but I love it, too, the knives getting stuck, and it's like, oh, no, James Bond's going to die. Um, <laughs> He's going but, to die! But, yeah, uh, but, yeah, I agree with you. I've got that in my notes, and that's for double at night. So good. Which I think is funny because I don't think we really mentioned too much at the beginning of the movie when Bond is told 009 is dead. He doesn't give two shits. Like, he's just like, oh, Yeah, I like to okay. think that Bond hates the other double O's and the, oh, no, I'm the best double O. And then he's like, That's what double O is. Like, like, he really did care about him. It's, it's not even like he's on a mission. It's like, Oh, 009 was killed last night. You mean the guy who's always dressed as a clown for no reason whatsoever? <laughs> so, yeah. Is that Bill Fairbanks? No, that was double one two, Bond. <laughs> Obviously, the uh, MI six isn't like Spectre. Like you don't advance in numbers once like somebody before you <laughs> dies. So like you know, Bond's never going to be double o one. He's just stuck with double o seven. Double o zero eventually, we know. Um, Minus double o one. Couple of scenes. Uh, couple of scenes coming up here, which I actually found I never really noticed how the editing style change with this movie it's kind of a very traditional peter hunt like up until now and there's a lot of stuff going on at the end of this movie and i'll be interested to watch view to a kill and living daylights and license to kill to see if they really kept up with this but there's a lot of back and forth cutting from little things like a 30 second clip here a 30 second clip here and i think it does help to increase the tension a little bit next group of scenes we basically have is you know stuff back at the circus and bond's trying to make his way there um (laughs) Uh, there's a funny scene I'll talk about in a second, but, uh, you know, Bond tries to make a phone call, you know, he doesn't have cell phones yet, and he can't get a little old lady out of a phone booth, apparently. Uh, he's, he could have pulled out his gun and shot her in the face right there. That would have solved that problem <laughs> quickly. <laughs> when all the this one's the 009. Who? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then there's a really cool chase scene that goes on um, where uh, Bond's storming inside this... Uh, Basically, the circus is inside of an American military base, and uh, all the stuff up until that chase there, I guess we'll talk about. But I'm going to mention the one moment that I thought was really funny here. We talked about how it doesn't really identify Bond's age that much, but the scene where Bond's trying to hitch a ride, and this car full of teenagers pulls up, like, come on, come on! <laughs> and then they just drive off, and I'm just pointing and laughing, he's like, suck that, old man! <laughs> Just these cruel teenagers, like, hey, look, it's an old guy. Let's mess with him. <laughs> and then he ends up getting ride with like these two sausage gluttons that are just obsessed <laughs> with trying their wieners. Sausage gluttons. That's their henchmen, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, yeah, like, this I is my henchman, sausage glutton. <laughs> I just want to know what the teenagers are saying right before they did this. Like, look at this stupid old man there. He's too old to do anything good. <laughs> Let's mess with him. Make a run. Ride. <laughs> I just yeah, I've written in my notes. Bong gets trolled by youngins like it's I wrote asshole I kids. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this in the script, but like <laughs> you can't catch a break, but if we're being real, um there wasn't really much room in that car for him anyway. Um 
Well, there's more uh, room than was in the glutton car. <laughs> <laughs> the glutton car. Glutton mobile. Um, but I, I like to pretend that they're the same young people from Honor Majesty's Secret Service who drive past uh, right before Tracy gets shot, um, screaming. So it's like, ah, there's that guy's wife got killed. Let's go <laughs> Because uh, it was kind of similar to that. You had the young guys beeping and, like, driving past. Uh, um, and then, yeah, the, the glutton mobile I wrote, in car with fat Germans. Like, that was hilarious. And like, all the sausage. <laughs> like, it, this is the kind of silly bond that I like compared to the tennis stuff in Tarzan, like getting trolled by young people and then in the car with the fat Germans, the glutton mobile. It's just so funny. Um, I just want to watch that scene again now. It's hilarious. And Roger Moore's facial expressions. Um, oh, poor kids. So, yeah, so good. Um, and then the cop kind of chase is quite good. Bond being an arsehole, stealing a lady's car. Um, I love that. He, for England, he's excused for every arsehole thing that he does. Um, and then breaking into the circus and then dressing as a clown. Like, didn't he learn from 009's mistake? Like, shouldn't he be dressed as something else? An elephant or something? Like, um, it's just, yeah, we're seriously watching James Bond dressed as a clown. Like, 13 films it's taken for this. I just want to back up and think the worst bit is when he's a fucking gorilla. Like, that's the bit that I think the worst <laughs> bit in this film. <laughs> he's standing there in a gorilla like suit. The mask. Stop. Try to be super quiet. Um, <laughs> it's just horrible. Yeah, like I, I love the whole bit with the kids, and you know, you just uh, if that was Bond ten years ago, actually no, thirty years ago, he's that old. He probably got in that car and had sex with all the girls. Like, let's be honest, um, <laughs> they shot them all. <laughs> and then I've written here stereotypical German um, that we've got in a Volkswagen eating sausages. Um, <laughs> and fat and they're speaking German at him. And I love how Bond's trying to speak German back at them. He's all like, Nein, bah. I, don't, I don't know how to speak German. Um, and I just love the fact that he's trying to be an absolute bastard to this little old lady in a phone box. Tries to shove her out of the way. She gets in and then he's just like, like, remember Dumb and Dumber when that guy's like banging on the phone, like going, get off the phone. And the guy yeah. punches him in the face. <laughs> I wanted the lady to do that to Bond. So Bond's reaction is to steal her car. Like, wow. And I love his interaction with the guy at the gate when he's like, I need to get in here and speak to such and such, such and such. Sir, I need to see... Damn it, man, it's urgent! (laughs) Then the cops show up. Oh, it's just hilarious. And Bond in a clown suit. Like, yeah. Um, There's, yeah... You guys mentioned the clown suit, which I didn't really touch on, but let me just cover that for a second, because again, I'm a big defender of Octopussy, and a lot of the complaints I'm bringing up here are things that I've sort of noticed over the years that bother me a little bit more. When you first watch a movie, like any movie, you pretty much love any movie at the time you're watching it, as long as it's not you know, absolutely awful, especially when you're younger. And when I was watching this movie, I was loving every second of it. I didn't expect to love it because I hadn't really heard that many good things about it. The second he was in a clown suit, it's not one of those things where I was like, oh, this just jumped the shark. It's not like, you know, Hovercraft and Moonraker or uh, something like that. But it just takes you out of the movie. And I think that's where the movie didn't necessarily need as much humor as it had. It's unnecessary. Because the story... Yeah, it is because the story is very dramatic and it's very serious and it stands well on its own. I mean, if you were to take all the humor out of this movie, I think that the plot 
with a little bit of reworking is just as strong and serious as maybe from Russia with love. Uh, but a lot of the humor, like the clown suit, it's not even really funny and they're not playing it for funny in the movie. It's just sort of awkward. Like bonds in a clown suit. Why? It's detrimental to his plan because then they don't believe him because they think it's part of the show. If he just shown up in his suit with his gun or something, but now they think he's a part of the show and the bomb's going to go off. It's like Bond yeah. is Jap- and I Japanese love the American- Bond. There's no purpose to it. <laughs> I love the American general, too. Even when Bond's like, there's a bomb there and it's going to go off. It's like, there's not even one ounce of him that's thinking, <laughs> we're about to die. He's like, get this crazy guy out of here. <laughs> there's a man with a British accent coming up saying he's a secret agent and he's in a clown suit. Like, who is going to believe this guy? <laughs> the other thing I wanted to bring up, you mentioned it, Ben, the the uh, the guy, the, the, the guard, when he was like, it's an emergency, but... <laughs> I just, I don't understand. This is an American military base. And when Bond just storms in there, you have the German police after Bond. Why is this American guard waving these German police into an American (laughs) army base? Like, don't you think that's a little bit of a problem? I mean, you talk about the security at the embassy at the beginning. This is just as big of an issue here. We're just inviting any foreign armies into their American military base. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And we mentioned too, we didn't mention, um, Orlov getting killed when he's trying to cross the border. Like, they're quick to shoot him. Like, why aren't they, like, shooting the, the German, you know, Gestapo, whatever they're called back in 1980s? Probably not the Gestapo, Ben. That's been inappropriate. I think it was the Gestapo <laughs> in 1983. Ben. Just stereotyping the Germans now. Good job, Ben. But, yes, it's, yeah, it's strange. At least you didn't say that had to be silent. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's right. Germans aren't allowed to speak. <laughs> they're efficient in their non-talking. Uh, let's just really quickly, there's one thing, and just before we get to Orlov here, you mentioned it, we'll kind of cover him in a whole section here, but the, uh, the, the point where Meg does doing, I guess this is what her circus act is outside of, you know, spinning her clothes off from a balcony, um, <laughs> stealing American generals wallets. Uh, I, this American general's just funny to me for some reason, um, where she steals his wallet. He's like, son of a gun. Ha 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 Exaggerated laugh. This guy thank you, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> Bond's dad. Uh, I just had to mention it. Uh, I'm gonna totally put that clip at the end of the episode. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like this, this guy's really obnoxious. Um, let's talk about Orloff. I I find it kind of confusing everything that happens at the end of the movie to him because there's a lot of confusion with the bomb, the jewels. You know, where does Octopussy fit into this? And Orloff, you know, is he being betrayed by Gogol? Um, what is his objective here? Like we know his whole objective is to start World War Three, but we've never really gotten the impression he's willing to die for it. You get the impression that he kind of wants a legacy. That's what I thought. So just overall, I guess you can cover Orloff's death in there. But do you consider him to be a good villain, a bad villain? Is he the main villain in the movie uh, between him and Khan? Personally, I really like the actor. I think that he's he's been a couple other things, and he always plays a good over the top villain. He is the more over-the-top villain that we have in this movie. Maybe next to Zorn, most over-the-top of the decade. But I just don't think the character was really that well-defined, mostly because he's in the movie at the beginning, and then everything we see of him is related to these jewels that really don't have significance, and then just all of a sudden, let's throw this whole World War Three back in the movie at the end. So I don't know if he really works. I think Olaf is a fun character, um, but he is a bit overshadowed by Khan, and this is one thing that from Russia with Love did a lot better is you got the sense that Rosa Klebb and Red Grant um, 
number one and then kind of Kronstein, but not quite Kronstein. You got the sense that these were equals, and I don't mean equal footing. I mean more like equal airtime, I guess, or equal like mm-hmm. these are all the villains. And Khan just really overshadows him, and that's probably because most of the film is in India and now we're in Berlin. But, yeah, he's a fun character who I just wish got a bit more development and could have been a really good character. And I think that's the risk you run with having these, like, multiple villain-type things rather than the stock standard villain henchman. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, it's good that they're mixing it up a bit, but it doesn't always work. Um but he is the more over-the-top to the serious Khan, and I do like him. I just think some of it is a tad confusing and some of it is a bit lacking. But he's not going to go down as a top-ten villain or anything, but he is still quite good, and it's better than anything we got last film, that's for sure. We don't really get to see him and Bond meet or interact, do we, either? Like, is there any moments with him and Bond? Yeah, not really. And, I mean, There's I guess, one scene on the train. Yeah, I guess, I mean, that kind of what sells a villain as well is, like... Bond and them having a bit of a, you know, go at each other. I mean, I, I like the character. I think it's fine. I just, yeah, kind of underutilised and really, you don't feel as though he is a villain. You know, I mean, well, he's a villain. He's one who's up World War Three, But, like, you know, Khan, Khan is the better villain and um, maybe they could have done a little bit better with all of. It is interesting to me, uh, after Clown Bond stops the bomb, um, which just sounds... <laughs> really wrong to be in a bond movie clown bond i just want one of the video games to have clown bond as a character you know when yes. you get to do the multiplayer mode have we never had that or have no. you guys ever unlocked clown bond no it would just be like a, a mode like knickknack mode where every time you walk you hear squeaks <laughs> there's just an american general saying get this maniac out of here and how quickly yeah. does bond change uh, into, uh, into that suit because like we see the clock countdowns at about 502 and then he's coming out of the trailer and the clock's back to like 4 so he changes into a clown suit with makeup in about 30 seconds yeah he had it Why all underneath so much care in applying his makeup to yeah <laughs> like golfing um with uh the bomb stopped by Clown Bond and <laughs> Orloff dead and World War Three averted. I actually found it really interesting that the end of this movie just revolves around, it's partly getting Octopussy back. Um, you know, not that her character was developed enough to care about that, but also Khan's about to get away with a fortune. And I kind of like that the, the two climaxes we have, the two big scenes that are about to come up, really have nothing to do with World War Three, which is, I think, something that uh, the movies prior to this have relied too much on. Uh, was okay it's all about stopping the world so the first bit of scenes here we have is basically octopussy's circus performers storming Khan's castle and uh <laughs> there's a little bit too much goofy gimmicks in here i think i would i could have done without them all being in their circus costumes i think i think just like the clown bond it's not that it's being played for laughs it just sort of drags the seriousness down a bit and a little bit without the gimmicks, you know, of some of their clown or not clown, their 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 circus performances being worked into how they're fighting. But overall, I like the idea of just this army that you wouldn't expect just to be storming a castle. And as you said, cue in a hot air balloon with Bond. That's fantastic. <laughs> Got the cameras everywhere. He's filming it. Um, you get to see the cameras too, so we know where they are. They're not invisible cameras. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't Lewis Gilbert's invisible camera. Or maybe it's the answer to Lewis Gilbert's invisible cameras, that there was always a cue balloon somewhere in the world filming something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have uh, Showdown with Gobinda at the castle, and uh, Khan 
very seductively saying the word octopusy over and over again, which I believe probably was not in the script. He just wanted to fit more mentions of the word octopusy in there with his accent. And uh, everything up to Q, I guess, uh, the moment that's been referenced so many times, uh, getting fawned over by all the women saying, no, 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 it's like, Maybe later. Uh, <laughs> one of our favorite moments in the movie, probably. Horny Q. So the first half, yeah, Horny Q, first half of the climax, the the circus uh, performers storming the castle. I actually really like the scene. I just could have done without the costumes. <laughs> well, aren't we back in India, right? Um, from Berlin, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, did no one change? Like, <laughs> They just all, always wear circus, you know? Oh, I don't know. They went um, through customs, their little circus outfits. <laughs> we don't have time to change. We've got to seek revenge. Yeah, we were robbed of not having clown bond in this climax. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I didn't yeah. have time to take off my makeup on the four-hour flight. Yeah. I, I do love the hot air balloon. Like That's a great way to come into the um, climax. And uh, we've already mentioned, but it's so funny that they all just jump onto cue and maybe like... One of my favorite Q moments of all time, and maybe we'll count down the best Q moments one time, but yeah, that's up there. Um, this is a fun and a cool climax, back to the traditional like Bond and an army uh, go in and they fight. It's just, as I said at the top of this episode, this is a stock standard film. that There's nothing wrong with this climax, but you don't think of it as like, oh, that classic climax, it's not in a volcano base or it's not in Fort Knox or uh, not in a snow uh, peas Gloria. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's cool when I was watching it. Yeah, this is cool. Bond's got a big machine gun. That was awesome. Uh, like a rifle type thing. But, yeah, it's, it's just a battle. Like, there's not, it's not good or bad. Um, Bond sliding down the... Um, like the stairs look like you got a bit of a wedgie there. It looked a bit uncomfortable, but um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. The the highlight is the Q stuff, but Roger Moore they say he's old, but he handles this action like still really good. Um, I, I was impressed. I don't know how much was stunt double, but regardless of stunt double, he looked the part in it, and it didn't look oh, there's Grandpa with a machine gun. It actually <laughs> looked the part. I, I think there's a lot of stunt double usage in this uh, scene. <laughs> Um, I I just can imagine they need to do a deleted scene of like Q like later on um, back in the hotel knocking on all the doors of the circus performers like going it's later on girls I'm ready uh, <laughs> you know I can get it up unlike what James says um, but yeah no, I don't really have a whole lot to add I, I do love the scene when he's like sliding down the the stairs there and he's like you know epically shooting people and he shoots the little thing at the end so he doesn't like take his balls out like typical Bond in the middle of like a massive fight scene he's still thinking about his dick um, but yeah, I don't know. I said, well, wouldn't you? Well, probably. Yes. Uh, but like, well, especially if I'm on like Pussy Island or whatever we called it. Um, but <laughs> I love, I love the hot air balloon. How it's got like a giant Union Jack on it. Like again, that's fantastic. Like uh, the British yeah. are here. London. <laughs> Why doesn't somebody nice just shoot it? Invasion. Like somebody should just blow it up. Like just shoot the hot air. It's like what nitrogen? Like bang, dead. Bye, Bond. Yeah, bye, Q. Think that through too much. <laughs> there, we took out the cameras. We won this battle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The one thing though that like 
obviously they must be invading or whatever like very early in the morning because we've got this whole massive fight sequence and then just as Bond's about to get on horsey, um, it's daylight. <laughs> like it just it just changes. Like bloody oath in India changes from day to night pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that transition too. It was a little bit abrupt. Um, but I think the second half of the climax here is much better than the first half. Um, Bond chasing down Khan, who's escaping dun, on dun, a plane. Dun, 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 yeah, <laughs> it's the Indiana Jones moment. It's also the Mission Impossible moment, which there's been so much attention given to Tom Cruise's hanging out of the airplane stunt uh, in the new Mission Impossible movie, which is honestly one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in a movie. And it's not that Octopussy does it better. Uh, Octopussy is much shorter, and they're not nearly as high on the ground. It's not you know, really Roger Moore, but they did the exact same stunt here, and it looks fantastic, though. I love, like, absolutely love the whole hanging off the airplane stuff here, even though it logically makes no sense at the speed they're going and the height they're going and turning upside down and holding on with his fingertips and somehow locking his legs against this that he's able to hold on. But it's a great sequence. Um, I, I don't think that any of the action scenes in this movie can even hold a candle to the weakest action scenes in your eyes only. But I think this one gets the closest. And uh, uh, I love um, the, the look on... I, we have the the clip of Jaws' face just where they go over, and there's there's an almost <laughs> equally funny clip of Khan's face right before he goes over the clip, which I'd love to get on the post if we can get. But uh, uh, this climax is fantastic. And uh, again, I just... Octopussy, it's her movie, it's named after her, but even though the sequence is revolving around getting her, I'm never really paying attention to that. I'm always just thinking, well, they got to stop Khan. So I don't know if she was really needed in here, but the sequence stands up still years later. Yeah, I think it's really cool. I love the bookend of the horsey. um, (laughs) Start up with a horsey, end with a horsey, um, and a planey. So that's really cool. And yeah, it's such an impressive stunt. Uh, I still feel like Gobinda wasn't totally needed, but I still think it really works and it's still cool. And I love, like, get out there. What? Out there? What, what are you doing? <laughs> himself. He was pretty cowardly there, too. Yeah. Go on, get know. out there? Yeah, I don't know why he just didn't say, well, screw that. Like, why? Like, what is Gobinda's relationship to Khan? Like, did we ever explore this? Like, why does he have to serve him like that? Um, I would have just said, you get out there. Um, but it's really cool the battle and Gabinda falling off uh, down down to his death, uh, and then Wilhelm scream as Kamal Khan dies with the plane, and Bond and Octopussy just happen to fall, and just right where there's a cliff where they're safe. Although Octopussy nearly falls, and probably wouldn't be a huge loss if Bond just let go. Um, he should have just let go. No one would have known. <laughs> Yeah, she died in the plane crash. Like, um, Why was her body found a kilometre away from the plane? <laughs> um, yeah, um, so I, it's really, I kind of forget about this scene a lot, but it's really thrilling and really cool. Um, so I think it's a great kind of end to the film and the climax. And it just looks really, this film looks like an 80s film, but not in a bad way. It just looks like, the good movies of the eighties, like has that cool feel to it. Like that's a good thing. I like eighties movies, but yeah, I think it, it's really cool. And I do like it. And we'll debate Kamal Khan's death, um, later on as to whether or not that's a bomb kill, but I think it's a great end to the film. Although then bonded octopus on the boat, like whatever generic. Yeah. 
It is freaking awesome, this final scene. And I, I'm glad you brought it up, Colin, because I think one thing that this film lacks is sort of memorable, like, car chases. Like, they're memorable. I shouldn't say that. But they're not like, you know, if you're talking about the great chase sequences in Bond movies, you don't really mention many from Octopussy. But, I mean, if you think about this, this is fucking James Bond jumping on a plane, like, chasing after a villain. Like, that's epic. Like, that's badass. And it is filmed so well. I mean, the 1980s are kind of like the the golden age of action films and like you know this is just really up there with it um i mean a few things with it when the plane flies upside down poor octopussy is like slamming against the roof and like moving around and like ah! like don't give a shit about octopussy why the hell does gabinda have to go on the roof to get bond if you think about this logically if james bond is to enter that plane he's going to have to do it through one door and one door only so he could just be standing there with a gun as soon as the door opens, bang, you win. And, like, sure, they might be like, oh, but he might rip the wires out like he does. Well, at the end of the day, Bond's going to die with you at the same time, isn't he? So, like, again, there's no real purpose for Gabinda to actually go out and go after him. So, really, Khan's death is his own fault. Um, But... (laughs) And also, like, do we do we not get any sort of reaction from Khan or that thinking, like, oh, the bomb obviously didn't go off in Germany. Like, oh, shit. Like, does anyone read the news <laughs> or anything? Like, clearly yeah. it didn't go off. So why is he still running away and escaping? So, like, in, at the end of the day, does Bond even have to chase after Khan? He's just getting away with a bit of jewellery. So what? He stopped the world from blowing up. Does he really need to save Octopussy? Well, Probably not. Yeah, because let's talk about Octopussy at this point. I mean, is she even clearly defined as a hero at any moment? Other than the fact that she didn't know about the bomb, she still went along with a lot of this jewel smuggling. And there were government agents that died over this, and she was aware of that. So (laughs) she should probably be in prison right now. They should have just let go. This one's for 009. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like we talked a little bit about how, you know, should Pussy Galore have been given immunity? I mean, she helped them in the end. Octopussy doesn't really do anything, and she's still guilty of a lot of stuff that should probably get her life in prison. <laughs> well, yes. we didn't see Octopussy too, so she might have. <laughs> Octopussy is the new black. <laughs> Octopussy <laughs> is the warmest colour. <laughs> yeah. um, final scenes, wrapping it up here. Uh, we started out on an all-time high uh, <laughs> with a great opening sequence, and We've been talking a lot about how the Roger Moore movies have these great endings to them. I do like the one half of this ending, but not the proper. We have this great meeting between Gogol and M and the minister. And I think that this is almost where Gogol's character should have ended. I don't think he really brought that much to A View to a Kill and Living Daylights in comparison. I would have liked this to have been the end of General Gogol. But that scene works. The scene with Bond and Octopus, you know, we're coming off of... uh, Live and Let Die, you know, the train sequence, which obviously had a fight in there. But even, the, let's just start it with, let's say we start with a man with a golden gun. You know, the whole uh, good night, good night, good night, sir. You know, that's a great moment. Um, the Spy Who Loved Me, Keeping the British End Up. Uh, Moonraker, he's attempting re-entry. Uh, For Your Eyes Only, oh. Margaret Thatcher and the Parrot, <laughs> which I still say is great. No one's groaning already. This, we just have Bond and Octopussy in bed, and for the first time ever, Roger Moore looks like an old man because he's got his arm in a sling and his leg propped up. And it doesn't look like they're having sex. It looks like, you know, she's healing his wounds from a, a bad stumble over a cliff. And there's no joke in here. So, 
why did they drop the ball on the scene when they put so much effort into you know this love story between Bond and Octopussy? I, I just don't understand why the, the movie has to end on such a lame note. Yeah, well, um, you made a good point about uh, Google that this could really have been his end because the next film, like it's a lot of it set in America, American villain, all that kind of stuff. And this is kind of the end until the living daylights of that kind of KGB, like, in a way, anyway, um, of the spy love me. Um, well, Moonraker is a whole entity in itself. But, yeah, I do think this could have been the end of it um, for him. That's a good point. And, yeah, you summed it up perfectly. Lame. I've got almost nothing to add. It was just so lame coming off these great Roger Moore endings of like, and maybe it's because they thought it would be a different actor and they wanted to distinguish it. Uh, that could explain some things for this entire film, but yeah, so lame compared to what we've seen in the past 12 films. Yeah, I've got nothing to add. Bring back Thatcher. <laughs> Said and, nothing. And, I mean, we've come, we've come from keeping the British end up to keeping my sprained ankle up. Um, <laughs> And we're about to get much, much older and uh, less physical with Bond in the next zombie. one. But, uh, ah, zombie Bond. The zombie bag. <laughs> um, that's the end of Octopussy. Before we move on with final thoughts, let's get to a couple of our segments here with our amazing intro theme songs, mostly sung by Fatty Esther, Second Man, <laughs> Noah Groves. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start with uh, the always controversial Mr. Kiss, Kiss, that was good. Right. That was good. Fatty S is sounding very feminine in that, I think. Shirley uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bassey, uh, Dionne Warwick, which one was that? Um, let's Before we even get to the, the, the bang bang count, let's just get the easy ones out of the way here. So. Kiss, kiss, count. It's pretty safe to say two, right? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, unless we're counting VJ's massage that might let something else. But let's hope not. Um, Martini's zero. Yep. Yep. Again. He's just not he's too old. Now, to drink. Too old to drink. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> James Bond has an ulcer. He has some liver damage. Instead of uh, Bond, James Bond, license to kill it. Bond, James Bond. I'm too old to drink. <laughs> I'll, I'll have a glass of peach That's his juice. motto. <laughs> Give me some cranberry juice, please. <laughs> prune juice. Ma- prune prune juice. juice. Mash my peas up. Eat some prune juice. <laughs> Where are right. you, small bone? Warm potato. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I'm going to be honest on the James Bond, James Bond's counts. I had noticed like throughout the movie that uh, there was at least one, but I forgot to keep track of these and I didn't have time to go back over it again. So there was just one. you guys yeah, have a consensus. One. On just, one, just one in the back. One. Wasn't if you it? asked me where I couldn't quite remember, I actually wrote it was down definitely one. It was the backgammon scene. Back, yeah. yeah. I like that Ben was like, just one of the backgammon and Noah's like, I don't know where it is. You just instantly don't believe what Ben said. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ben wrote it down. It must be wrong. <laughs> oh, well, we know Ben, you, but you're right. Wrong on the, before we even uh, let's just preface this next one, the kills, um, <laughs> by debating an instant one because Ben's count may be on or off by thirty. 
let's talk about I'm gonna give I'm gonna reserve the right to give my opinion first here, but this will be a bit of a debate before we even get into the kill count. The opening sequence, the moment where Bond flies his jet through the hangar and then the missile comes and blows that up, is that a kill? Is that many kills? I'm going on record and saying it can't be a kill because Bond was simply making a getaway. He didn't fire the missile. He flew into the hangar to get rid of the missile. He couldn't have known there were people in there. And the missile should have just kept following him. It's only by the fact that the doors were closing, which, again, he had no control over that this thing blew up. I think those guys killed themselves, like <laughs> many other times happen in Bond. I don't think Bond even was aware that anything was happening there. So I wouldn't count that as a but, kill. But, but, Do we have other he opinions? That, he was in that, that shit. Yeah, he was in the he hangar was in that before. hangar before he got in the plane. When he was dressed as moustache guy. Moustache. Right. <laughs> With so the doors open. So there was no reason for to believe this thing was going to blow up just by flying through it. He may have been trying, but I don't think he was intentionally killing anybody. Mm, I think James Bond always intentionally tries to kill people. <laughs> Roger Moore's James Bond doesn't. We know that. I one. definitely see your point, but at the same time, I swear we've done other inadvertent kills and counted them in the count too. Like yeah. it makes sense, and uh, I don't know. I think he he was in the hangar. I think he did know there were people there, and his aim was to get away and blow up the people. Um, I don't have a count on it, only because I was going to go back and potentially count, and then we thought, oh, maybe it's not a kill. I'm not sure. I can see your point, but I definitely equally see that it is bomb kill, so I'm confused here. Yeah, I'm the same. I think it's both. I can see both points. I mean, my argument, too, would be exactly as you said, Noah, inadvertently. I mean, we killed we killed three blind mice and counted them, and again, that was a car chase. He Bond didn't push the car off the cliff or anything like that. Like, they died in the process of chasing James Bond. So, in a way, these guys died in the process of trying to kill it because Bond threw flew through there knowing that the missile would be behind him. Yeah, and, even if it's an accident, it doesn't mean it's not a kill. And the thing is, too, like, yeah, they're, clo- they're closing I- that door to try and crash Bond's plane. So if they close that door and Bond crashed, they're still going to get engulfed in a pretty big fireball themselves. <laughs> like, if he had crashed into that door, but... Yeah, I mean, I guess I think the, the hardest point issue- is, if we, if we counted this, is how many do we count? Yeah, we and I mean, none of us back. have an accurate count. Only Ben has a count, and we know that Ben's counts aren't really accurate, so we don't really have an accurate count. <laughs> Although we, count. Ha- we have, with the snake, uh, gone back and we've allowed ourselves to correct our mistakes, so maybe, I don't know if we have any listeners out there. Um, well, one video that we all saw... this is not a kill or not. One video that we saw that they counted the kills, they reckon there were 49 in that building with no explanation. So they froze frame it and gone, here's one, here's two, here's three, here's four. I mean, I just based, I just purely just said 30. is a round even number and I think if you did freeze frame it, you would be able to figure out how many there were. Yeah. But again, I think it's still... Like, none of us are 100%. I'm 100% on it's not kill. I can see your point, but I'm 100% it's not a kill. Both of you are kind of like in between. I I'm 70% it is. But um, I'd say we're, we're still on the majority of leaning I'm towards that this is not. I would say, as an overall point, to maybe not count it based purely on the fact that it's probably going to be a little bit too hard to assume how many died. <laughs> you, you know, this no, is hard, so let's not do it. But also on that, <laughs> if you then want to completely... The way you live your life. <laughs> but if you also want to then completely <laughs> technically analyse it, you can't guarantee that all the people in that building died. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, well you well, I, I say that also, with every single Bond kill, then. 
<laughs> we've established some rules along the way, and we even had this debate with the three blind mice. And what we ultimately came down to is, you know, Bond stood over there burning bodies and said, I think they're on their way to a funeral. And we use that even in for your eyes only with the yeah. guy who just went through. Really, he went through a window into a soft pile of Good flowers, point. but because there was a comment about the funeral. So I think if Bond makes a, a comment about it being a kill in any way, it counts as a kill. Whereas if we have any question, I wouldn't count it. And the one thing too that it, let's just say no because we don't have a number. Well, I mean, let's let's be honest yeah. here. Let, let, let's think about it. If we were doing a Star Wars one, and you know, we're counting like Alderaan, like who <laughs> people died on Alderaan. Thirty-six billion. <laughs> so we're saying no as a fact that we're lazy. Well, we we can't be the Alderaan yeah. census and figure it out. <laughs> the Alderaan, yeah, I would the Alderaan Bureau of Statistics. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's move on from that then. Because yeah, I think we're pretty count. much leaning towards But send us a letter um, if you think we should count it and tell us the number. Yeah. And by letter, I mean right on our face. <laughs> <laughs> no, send us an actual snail <laughs> mail letter. Go out, buy an envelope, buy a stamp, address yeah, we'll it We'll get to it in no, about four weeks. No grows. Address snug. number one at First Street Snug. <laughs> <laughs> snug Road Snug. Lower Snug. Snug Mania. <laughs> um, okay, we have different numbers here. So I have uh, uh, how many? Okay, how many kills do you have, uh, Noah? Fifteen. I have fifteen as well. Ding ding ding. Okay, let me see. I have ten, eleven, twelve. I have thirteen. Right, so I'll give you mine, and okay. then you tell me what I might be missing because I have a lower number here. I have the octopus sucking the guy's face. Obviously, yep. mm-hmm. uh, there were there were. Uh, the on the train there were the three guys that he shot in the face or in the head that we mentioned. Yep. Um, first we time. have yep. both of the knife brothers. Yep. Yep. Schneider uh, and I have Yeah. I have four with his machine gun in Khan's Palace. Mm-hmm. I have Gobinda. I have uh, oh of course the guy with the spikes at the beginning of the movie mm-hmm. that he threw on the spikes. I think that guy's clearly dead yeah and con is a questionable one which we can debate but those are so what am i missing or what well, do you where have i have now? different um i've included khan you, know, you said spike guy i had um six in the end bit so i've got he killed indian turban at the door <laughs> um, you've actually counted it? good job the, the we one, never do this in there the one where he has like he puts the tiger up over the railing then he shoots a guy and then I got that when he was coming down the rail that he killed four people in that exchange. I got overall, I didn't count calm, but I'm willing to hear reasonings. But I counted seven in the climax. But I'm happy to say that I maybe put one on. So if I said that was six, then I would have 14. And then if I included Khan, I would have 15. And then I had the exact same as you had. First of all, I just have to say, before we get to Khan... I love that we're giving Ben credit that he's taking notes, but he's just giving the vaguest description where he could have made these numbers up. Man in Turban. Guy with the turban in India sequence. (laughs) Uh, Let's talk about Khan for a second. I put him down with a question mark, and I would lean on this one again more towards it not being a kill, simply because Bond just slowed the plane down, and he definitely killed Gobinda. But he gets Octopussy out of there, and it's really just the fact that Khan doesn't leave, that he goes over the cliff. Um, I wouldn't really count it as being on Bond's hands. I don't think Bond was necessarily... Bond would have killed him eventually. But what was James Bond's objective when jumping on that plane, though? It Mm. was for 
can't die and Khan died very advertedly yeah. by what he did. I'm putting it up there. I'd say, yeah. And I don't necessarily think he I could have jumped was- out because he didn't have a door in the <laughs> cockpit, whereas, like, they were at the cockpit. There's only one door in that plane. And by the time he ran to the door, the plane would have been in more of a nosedive because I don't know if the autopilot would have worked after he ripped all those um, wires out. The, the the other argument to that then would be if, if we're going back to the spy who loved me and, you know, Bond is saying, where's Fekish? And Sander goes, pyramids. And then he loosens his own tie and jumps. <laughs> <laughs> Was Bond responsible? <laughs> uh, really a Bond fans, is it? Why is he jumping and why is he loosening his tie? <laughs> I'm not saying it's logical. <laughs> oh, just because you hold on for a moment, my tie's a bit tight. Oh, he jumped. Oh, no. Which pyramid? I didn't initially yeah. have it, but I've just literally written in my account, Khan, I think it's a bong hill. Yeah, I put it down yeah, straight I, away. I think that the one thing that I, I don't understand how he would have gotten out of there. So, yeah, maybe I can accept that. I still think it's a very questionable one, but I'd be open to accepting Khan. We counted a freaking spider. Let's put Khan on. <laughs> sure. my, my argument, future thinking, is this is my argument, future thinking, is that Trevelyan dies by getting crushed from an explosion that wasn't necessarily bombed. Well, we haven't counted that as a death either. I don't know if you've noticed we're not at GoldenEye yet. <laughs> I'm just, just, just still putting thinking it of Sandor jumping off the building. <laughs> <laughs> this is his tie. Oh, it's a bit hot in Egypt. <laughs> Sean Connery now, of course. Pyramids! Oh, sorry, let me lose this time. Pyramids. Oh! So, okay, anyway, so, but doesn't I that make you have 16 then, now. Noah? You've got 16. No, because I think I added one extra in the climax. So we're we going with 15. Are you saying that I'm right? <laughs> well, I had 15 too, so we're both right. <laughs> well, you. let's be honest, Ben. You had 45 before no. we went on air. <laughs> Do not. Can't prove that. I'm I'm right. I'm putting on the record. I didn't have the number, but I still think they're bong kills. But we won't count them. But that's my personal opinion. Go with Tell me I'm right. I, I will say though, I think the difference between the spider and this, and again, I'll count Khan because I even put it as a question mark. But the difference is, if Bond had ripped Khan out of the airplane, <laughs> took off his shoe, and repeatedly smacked Khan dun, in the face dun, with it, dun, dun. Like, yeah, with music. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Then Han is killed by Bond. <laughs> That's clear. And then Han should have gone to the funeral. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. 15, so 15. kills. All right. So okay. what Ben tells our big toe. Uh, okay, so kills now moves up to 159. Um, intimate encounters moves now up to 35. Martinis, we're stuck at seven. He hasn't had a martini in the 80s oh, yet. Oh, man, he loves his fringe. <laughs> he hasn't had any in the 80s. And um, he, he likes to talk his name 14 times at 14 Bonds, James Bonds. Cool. And yep. we move on now to... Rankings, baby. What about box office? We've lost lost control of everything. (laughs) I thought rankings was last. This This is live and let die all over again. So hang on, what are we doing? What did I just play? Let's go with Hall of Fame. It's the hall, the hall with the classic scene. Noah Grohl, 
greatest hits. I don't know what I just heard in my earphones. I think we heard both. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Again, we're joking about this, and again, we can just edit this out in post-production, but we keep it in for whatever reason, because we think we're hilarious. It's live. (laughs) That's the professionalism of Double R7. (laughs) It's a Hall of Fame. Okay. Adding more work for us. I'm putting up the fight scene on the train. I've got nothing. I've got opening sequence with the Aerostar, mm, whatever it's mm, called. Uh, I think that one's good. That it's, always gets shown in those. Part. Yeah, that that scene when it flies through that gap, that always gets shown in like... But it's not even like a top 10 pre-title sequence. No. Oh, I think it's a... I mean, we have some pretty bad... <laughs> Uh, we have Bambi and Thumper on this list. Yeah, yeah, Bambi and Thumper is not like a top ten henchman fight. Like I would say, we separated though. This isn't like you know Bond poses as Luis Toro. This is Bond in the plane part of the escape, yeah, right? Killing thirty people. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> am I the only one supporting the the fight on the train? No, I'll give you that. Um, um, uh, well, I've got nothing, so I have it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what our third. Sequence. I don't know what our third one's going to be though. Um, maybe, maybe the plane at the end. It's very plainy central. This one. Ooh, the, the plane. plane. Well, I don't. I know. I'm going back to this is good night all over again. But <laughs> I, <laughs> I would go with Magda's My Little Office. No, her no, unwinding escape. The only the way, the only way, Magda saying "My Little Octopusy" would have made the Hall of Fame is Bond had to turn around and gone, "I must be dreaming." <laughs> I think ben, <laughs> you, you tried putting up BB seduces Bond. <laughs> well, the that's Hall more worthy you're than "My Little Magda. Octopusy." Come off it. What about? Well, uh, if BB mm. had unwinded herself by her clothes and ended up in a bikini at the bottom of a building. Then maybe it would be Hall of Fame. <laughs> no. What about uh, with Rob Schneider's twin uh, throwing <laughs> the knives and this is for 009? I think that's quite an iconic scene. Why don't we just put bonding clown uh, suit? <laughs> I, <laughs> well, you say that. No. I would actually lean more towards 009's death at the beginning because I think mm-hmm. it is one moment for killing uh, the other twin, but. It is a very brief moment that's kind of just tacked on to the end of the train fight. I actually would prefer the 009 death. Or even, what about the property of a lady scene, the, the auction scene? Yeah, auction scene. Really? Mm. Really? We're going to look back at this at <laughs> the end of this? Oh, that one scene from Octopussy when they're at the auction. We have Bambi and Thumper on this. Yeah, Bambi and Thumper in Noah's number two movie of all time people or whatever. remember Bambi and Thumper. I don't think people are going, let's talk about the top moments in James Bond history. I yeah, nominate well, the auction point. scene. Like if I had to list them all, I'd probably mention Bambi and Thumper before the auction scene. Um, I'm saying this for 009, but obviously that's not a popular opinion. Uh, maybe the death of Gabinda and Khan, but that's still not... That iconic. It's a cool sequence, but it's not Hall of what Fame. Really. Q? Chance for Magda. <laughs> I'd rather double. I'd rather no double. with Magda, no with BB, and no with Rosie, <laughs> and no with Plenty. They're I'm, not in the Hall of Fame. I'm not putting cardboard in our Hall of Fame. All right, just <laughs> this isn't a recycle <laughs> bin. What about your sequence with Karen? <laughs> no, I, I, I'd rather go with 009's death than any of those ones. <laughs> That's not all of fame, though. It's got a clown in there. Tarzan. <laughs> no one just started one. That's not all of fame. I would think uh, 
the ending clown stopping the bomb is more iconic. And I can't believe we're even thinking of putting any clowns in the Hall of Fame. Gorilla suit. (laughs) (laughs) With the ghost. Oh, that sequence! The escape sequence! I'm putting that up. Which one? The The whole elephant chase. The ghost and the Tarzan and the elephants and the snakes and the... The Take a photo of that turban guy. Bond and animals. Yeah. That's more icon. That. Jungle escape, yeah. I oh. mean, if Magda was helping him escape, it might <laughs> oh, be a little bit better. Get over your cardboard fetish, Colin. <laughs> 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 it's a jungle escape. Yeah, jungle yeah. escape. All right, cool. <laughs> All right, next. All right. Gonna, next film we're going to I'm struggle. getting stressed out debating <laughs> our choices this week. So that's why I'm glad this next one can't really be debated. Uh, it's time for the... Rankings, baby. What about box office? <laughs> I thought we did box, box office, office last after. because it's the one that nobody cares about. Uh, whatever. Rankings. You say that the rankings can't be debated, but anytime someone says something shocking, we all tell shocking. each other how idiots we are. Shocking. Well... Let's see, let's see who's an idiot this week. Um, Probably Ben. I have... Oh, fuck off. <laughs> I have one spot I'm debating about this for. Um, my top seven, I think, is pretty solid. So, what do I have? I have Honor Magic Secret Service, From Russia With Love, Spy Who Loved Me, Goldfinger, Thunderball, Doctor No, For Your Eyes Only, uh, or For Your Eyes Only, and then Doctor No. Um, it's not getting past any of those. My debate here would be whether I rank it higher than Live and Let Die, which, again, the biggest surprise for me is that so many weeks later, a movie that was always like bottom three Bond movies for me that I never had an interest in, Live and Let Die, is actually holding up. Uh, if I had to pick one or the other, I would probably give a slight edge to Octopussy. So I might regret this couple weeks down the road, like I regret one of my other choices I made a few weeks ago. But I'm going to put Octopussy in what spot would that be? Eight? Is this, uh, sorry. Ahead of Living Life. Uh, yeah, eight. That would be eight. Yeah. Was your regrets uh, your love for Rosie Carver? <laughs> no. But my only regret is Moonraker Above Man with the Golden Gun, which yes. I'm not really sure... I've got it could have had more to just too. the enjoyment of the episode that we recorded and having fun making fun of the episode, but I don't know. I'd, I'd have to tell if I rewatch these again, but I'm pretty confident Octopussy above Live and Let Die. So what position? Eight. Eight. And what's it just below? Uh, Doctor No, isn't it? Uh, yes. Sorry, I'm just stealing your answer there. Cole. You I'm just looking me at your, your list right in front of me, so... <laughs> Uh, for me, yeah, it, it, forget about welcoming it into the top six. No way. Um, yeah, I still don't really know. It's above Thunderball, you only live twice, live and let die. Um, Man with the Golden Gun, I've always enjoyed it, but it just keeps popping up there. Like, And I'm probably with Colin, maybe Moonraker should have been just below it, but it just keeps popping up there and one that I really enjoyed and one that I kind of want to go back and rewatch now is Scaramanga, Nicknack and all the gang. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think before this, I probably wouldn't have had it above a below man with the gun gun, but I just really enjoyed that one. Um, 
Yeah, I, I wasn't as high on For Your Eyes Only as much as you guys were. I still enjoyed it. but um, So I'm going to say put Octopussy in at ninth, which is just below Man with the Golden Gun, which is at eighth, and just above For Your Eyes Only, which was at ten. I think overall Octopussy is a better directed film and just a stronger film in terms of characters and enjoyment. So it's the stock standard middle Bond film. All right, none of my top uh, seven are moving. Um, so that kind of period there between eight, nine, and ten, it's not in the league of Moonraker and Live and Let Die, my bottom. Um, I really enjoyed You Only Live Twice, and I've got that in at eighth, so Octopus, you won't go ahead of that. Ninth is Dr. No, which I get a lot of shit for being so low, but I've always just not appreciated Dr. No as much as some, but... Octopussy isn't a better film than Dr. No, so I'm putting it at 10th, which is just below Dr. No and just ahead of Thunderball. Cool. Same kind oh. of similar positions for everyone, really. So 8th, ninth, and 10th. Yeah. Finally, yeah, we so agree none of again. Us are, yeah, none of us are really overly wowed by this movie, but uh, it's not like bottom for anybody here. Yeah. Um, let's see how it did in the first <laughs> half of the Battle of the Bond, because it's time for... The segment that only Ben cares about, it's... (laughs) Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. It's like my segment. (laughs) (laughs) So I get excited. Why are you singing? It's only a segment because Ben... Reminds us right before we wrap up every episode. <laughs> Don't forget about Peter Shavers and box office. And then he's like, make make an intro to the Peter Shavers box office. But here it is. I'm actually Next this is we're just going to do a whole episode on Peter Shavers and box office. <laughs> we can get Peter Shavers on the show. Like, what were you? No, thinking? let's not. <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> Peter Shavers, welcome to the show. What were you thinking? <laughs> Um, this is one where I think it should be interesting because we won't get into Never Say Never Again next, but you'll compare stats next week, Ben, but give us the box office. All right, well, Unadjusted Octopussy is in the top 10. It's ninth, uh, 67,893,619, which puts it just below Moonraker, um, which, of course, I mean, back at the time, highest rating Bond, uh, highest box office of Bond was still Moonraker. So it only made $3 million less than that, interestingly enough. Um, just ahead of Thunderball um, and beat For Your Eyes Only from a couple of years beforehand. And Adjusted Octopussy comes in at 14th, 180,834,100, which puts it just below Quantum of Solace and just ahead of The Spy Who Loved Me. Um, And for our favourite film reviewer, uh, Mr. Travers on the Rolling Stone uh, list of best and worst James Bond films from uh, 2012, he put it at 16th, which puts it just below Moonraker and just above A View to a Kill. Peter Travers... You are a dickhead. Why do Why do I even <laughs> mention his list? How did that even? Because it's the start? first why one that we found. <laughs> yeah, when we, we we'll give a bit of context here. When when we were getting ready to start recording these, we were Noah and I were constantly criticizing Ben for his "Die Another Day" love, and he thought he was going to prove to us that there were other people out there who thought "Die Another Day" was brilliant. So he presented a Peter Travers list, and somehow he just. <laughs> 
decided to bring that up so he can continue to remind people that somebody out there likes Die Another well, Day. Well, in my defense, that's the only probably placing there that I am I'm high on. I mean, he puts a couple of my ones that I think are the best or my favorite very, very low. So, um, and... Yeah, but I, I will say, he wrote of Octopussy, this is the one where Moore's Bond yells like Tarzan, swings through the trees, and ends up in a clown costume. Need I say more? <laughs> Roger Moore. Two and a half minutes of screen time in two hours and ten minutes, and that's what he wants to focus on. <laughs> and he's got a screenshot of uh, clown face Bond holding a nuclear bomb. <sighs> <sighs> Let's not talk about this idiot. <laughs> <laughs> And I love that our intro to it re- includes the phrase "he's an idiot" or something <laughs> like that. Um, let's just quickly go around. Final thoughts on Octopussy. Uh, I I still love this movie. I still think it's a fun movie. It's not a brilliant movie. It's not one where I'm like, uh, you know, oh, I'm in the mood for Bond. How about Octopussy? I'll probably go through a couple other moors before I get to this. But it's I think on the positive end of a, a middle middle of the range bond movie it's it's not you know the best it's not one where it's a great guilty pleasure um but it's i think all around solid and uh uh, i i think some of the funny moments in here drag the movie down a bit but that's just because everything else in here is so good i think that this could have been a great movie if they just took some of the humor out yeah as i said at the top um it's the stock standard film um and again, one of the ones I've seen the least, not not by choice, but at the same time, as you said, if I had just wanted to watch a random bomb film, I would put The Spy Love Me, um, Moonraker, and then now nowadays, The Man with the Golden Gun up there is more ones that I'd watched beforehand, but viewed or kill even, but um, yeah, it, it's fun. Like I don't have too many, even the negatives we talked about weren't overly negative, like not too much in the characterization and backstories, even though we did get a lot of backstory um, in some cases. But it's fine. Like If I put it on, I would always enjoy it, and it's probably one of those ones that works better when we're not taking notes and uh, analyzing it too much. If you just sit back and enjoy it with a bowl of popcorn or whatever. Um, so it, it's a good film. I don't know if I'm rushing to rewatch it again anytime soon, but I'll enjoy it the next time I do watch it as I enjoyed it this time. It's that middle-of-the-road one. I think Octopussy is like milk. It's like, by itself... <laughs> Here we go. By itself, it's... Like, it's okay. Like, you enjoy it. But it's a lot better when it's with stuff. Like, it, Octopussy is a lot better when you kind of watch James Bond films as a collection. Like, these is... <laughs> well, how- when you're watching From the Spy, Love Me off to the side. Yes, yes. Like, you know, milk's great with chocolate. Or, you know, milk's great in a coffee. Or, like, you know, milk's... Like, you, you're not sitting around on a hot day going, fuck, I'm really thirsty, I want a glass of milk. Like, you'll go something for a bit... It's not like rainbow ice cream or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't know. I just find that that's what it's like. It's very plain. It's just It's just there. Um, but you always need it because, of course, it's part of a collection. And, like, you always need milk because you need your calcium. So, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's... Nice try with the metaphor. Well, I tried. Like, it's a lot better than some of my other ones. But, you know, it's it's something that maybe um, I probably need to watch again to appreciate a little bit more. As I said, I haven't seen this film in about 10 years before I'd watched this. Um, and, look, I, I know you two can maybe forgive Grandpa Bond, but I can't. 
And that's a real detriment to me. If this was Brolin, then maybe it'd be a bit different. If we didn't have McClory, like having to bring more back, then it, again, might be different. Um, but having said that, A View to a Kill is one of my favourite Bond films of all time. So, um, yeah, I'm, I I can still forgive that really? slightly. Um, and we didn't actually mention, speak. I know we're probably going to talk about Never Say Never Again here more so than A View to a Kill, but um, we saw in the credits, we didn't mention in the credits that we saw the film is called From oh, A View to a Kill. Wow. Um, and apparently the last time we yeah. ever see a title of the next Bond film in the credits as well. I read that. Well, that is um, the title of the short story. For some <laughs> reason or another, they changed the from a view to a kill to just a view to a kill. No idea why. Well, then Duran Duran. I just think it's funny that <laughs> Ben ended that by saying, you know, it, they changed it. That was the last time that they had the title. And he ends up almost proudly saying, I read that. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. You're reading now. Thanks, guys. Thank you. <laughs> and yeah, thanks, Ben, because if we've learned one thing in this episode is that milk is like little octopuses. It does the body good. So <laughs> thank you for the analogy. Milk is important for collections or something like that. <laughs> Camellia Toad loves him. Um, yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know whether we should talk about A View to a Kill or if we should save that for the next one, but um, obviously A View to a Kill is the next canon movie, but the next one we're going to be covering is Never Say Never Again, so I would say talk about Never Say Never Again. Really quickly with yeah, what, really quickly, what's your background or experience with Never Say Never Again? Um, for me, I was watching these movies all at random, and I would just see what I could get from the video store. And you know, I, I wasn't looking up online at this point to see, you know, what's the the chronology of them. I wasn't reading any, you know, books about the history of James Bond. It was just here's the James Bond section at the video store, and. I always saw this one with Sean Connery called Never Say Never Again in there, and I saw the date on it, and I was always under the impression it was just part of the regular series. So when I watched the movie, I was so devastated (laughs) within minutes. I'm like, why is there no proper theme song? Where's the logo? Where's the gun barrel? You know, what's with the toupee? Um, How come (laughs) this is the same story as Thunderball? Like, I just didn't understand it as a 17-year-old or whatever I was watching. So... I didn't, I always hated this movie, like absolutely hated it. I rewatched it a few years ago. Um, I didn't love it. I really didn't even like it, I would say, but it's not nearly as bad as being that disappointed teenager thinking he was getting a great Sean Connery return to James Bond and getting Never Say Never Again return. But it's been years since I saw it. And the last time I saw it, I was more watching it just to see the locations. Cause I was about to go to the Bahamas and I wanted to visit some locations. Yeah. It'll be interesting to watch this movie with an open mind this time. Probably the first time I've ever watched it with an open mind. Um, yeah, I won't jump in too much. I'll save some of it for next week, but I always knew there was something off about it. Like when I see it at the video store, it would have a completely different case to the rest of them. And there'd be something different about it. Connery looked a bit older, um, but I had no idea the backstory behind any of it. I just knew, knew that there was something different. And eventually after getting the other ones out, I saw it and I knew that this wasn't the same thing, but like, when you're a 10-year-old, how do you find out about, like, the backstory between Kevin McClory and Eon and all this stuff? So I just, for a long time, knew it was a different one, that they made another Bond film with a different director. Um, so there was that. Um, and, yeah, I've seen it maybe twice or three times. 
I don't like it when people say this isn't a James Bond film. I take exception with that. I think that's not fair because James Bond is not just a film series. It's a book, it's comics, it's games, it's different. Um, and there's Casino Royale films. So it's still a Bond film to me. And it's got freaking Sean Connery. It's a James Bond film. And I think we'll find some enjoyable things about it, but there's also going to be some stuff that is going to be horrible. But in a weird way, I'm kind of looking forward to it just because it's going to be a complete different break to what we've been doing um, so far. And we've just recently watched Thunderball, like as in maybe 10 weeks ago or something like that. Um, so a bit fresh in our mind. And I think it will still be enjoyable to recap and just see the terrible Sean Connery old, grandpa bond and all this stuff so i'm kind of looking forward to it but at the same time i can't wait to get to review to kill and i'm loving the roger moore's so never say never again is okay never seen it so i am going to <laughs> just go in this with fresh fresh eyes um it's the battle of the grandpa own it I, I've, I've owned it probably I've seen for, it at your house I've, i don't even own i've probably owned it for about a good like seven or eight years and i've never watched it um, but yeah like it's the battle of the grandpas which grandpa does it better in the year of the bond i mean we we would debated this sort of when we started the show whether or not we would watch this and tie this in with thunderball but we kind of decided to go with it chronologically so i think it probably will work out a little bit better with the context of how the whole bond situation uh happened in 1983 so yeah i'm going to be fascinated to watch it and see it and kind of you know talk about it because um we're going to go into this and not really count things like kills and all that sort of stuff in our official count so just like it's not an official bond film we're not doing that but we'll still count them and we'll do a separate you know uh count based on that but uh yeah i i i'm excited I've, i'm sort of always was looking forward to getting to the 80s because i love the decade and of course it also means i get to kind of see something i've never seen before so yeah bring it on Never say never again. Um, I think the episode is going to end and we're going to be saying never watch, never say never again, to be honest. Um, I'm not that optimistic about it, but uh, it'll be fun to cover regardless. Uh, that's it for this week. Um, and we will talk about A View to a Kill, I guess, more next week before we get into it. Um, but uh, Octopussy was fun and uh, Connery's coming back, so... Uh, it's interesting to say the least, but, uh, and I'm Colin, by the way. And, uh, in case you're wondering, can I borrow a feeling? Can you lend me a jar of love? Hurting hearts need some healing. Take my hand with your glove of love are better lyrics than what we had in all time high. Uh, I'm Noah and I feel like getting high all the time after uh, doing this episode. So thanks for listening. And I'm Ben and I really feel like, uh, meeting Camellia Toe right about now. <laughs> Uh, that was my little octopusy. Good night. And hit it! Can I borrow a feeling? Could you lend me a jar of love? Hurting hearts need some healing. Take my hand with your glove of love. It's a charming tune. Mr. Bond is indeed a very rare breed, soon to be made extinct.
Fill her up, please. And this is Miss Penelope Smallwell, my new assistant. That's my little octopusy. She's known as Octopussy. Octopussy? His pet name for me was Octopussy. 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 Having problems keeping it up, kid? Where can I find the base commander? It's urgent. Let's see your circus pass. Damn it, man, I said it's urgent. Sir, that bomb is set to explode at 3.45. That's 90 seconds from now. General, this man's either drunk or crazy. Look, I haven't time for these adolescent antics. I hear that island's full of beautiful women. No men allowed. Really? Sexual discrimination. I'll definitely have to pay it a visit. Oh, Jay, we're two of a kind. Go out and get him. Out there? Go. He suggests the trade, the egg for your life. Well, I'd heard the price of eggs was going up, but isn't that a little high? The West is decadent and divided. Follow that car. It's odd, but when I'm stared at, I seem to lose my appetite. Property of a lady. Well, there are quite a few ladies here. Well, there is a lady. And this for my brother. That's for 009. How long would I get in the brig if I stole your wallet? Uh, about two years. <laughs> well, in that case, I'd better return it. Son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, thanks for found some. <laughs> what are you doing? Oh. Yeah. Oh, cut it out. We haven't time for that. Oh. Later, perhaps. <laughs> you gotta get a picture of that guy with the turban, that's just hey, terrific.